Hello, I just wanted to uh, make a quick programming note. The uh, The episode you're about to hear is essentially uh, two and a quarter episodes in one. Uh, we've been doing multiple episodes on the same concept, MBA Hold'em. And uh, once you get into the episode, you'll uh, you'll hear my description of what that concept is. But uh, we've we've done that concept in different eras, whether that be the 2010s, the 2000s, and the 1990s. Uh, what I did for this is essentially took all of the different times we utilized the concept for 1990s teams and put it all in one. So we have literally one for every year of the 90s. Um, it'll be a little bit out of order because, uh, you know, we recorded on three different occasions, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I hope you enjoy. If you're looking for more content, uh, you know, ahead of the, the trade deadline, something a little bit more uh, time relevant, check, the, check out the three of us. We just recently recorded an episode for the Swish Theory Podcast Network. Uh, the podcast is called Roster Reconstruction, where we broke down the uh, the reasons why teams make certain decisions ahead of the trade deadline and uh, you know why certain teams become sellers why certain teams become buyers why other teams make sort of tax avoidance moves why other teams take on money so uh, we we go into the details there that was a really fun one so uh, yeah make sure you check that out we've done uh, we've done quite a few really fun episodes on there but uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this uh, extended version of uh, NBA Hold'em from the 90s. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Roster Reconstruction. We have the big three, the unholy three, your host. We have Josh Earl, Garrett Bouguet, and myself, Corbin Ford. Uh, you can follow us, follow us all on our respective social media channels, which will promote later at the end of the show um follow swish theory on twitter at swish theory um swish theory all one word and then swish theory.com uh but yeah we are back we are excited uh we are continuing a concept that we explored in an earlier episode of roster construction which was nba hold'em uh which is a fun team building exercise uh and we are doing a series now uh, kind of launching a, a, a series based off of that concept we are putting this one strictly in the 90s and in case you didn't remember the NBA Hold'em series or didn't listen, which you can go back and do so, we do have Garrett here, uh, and Garrett's going to break down for those who are uninitiated uh, exactly how NBA Hold'em works. Okay, so um, you know Texas Hold'em, the you know the poker, the card game. Uh, essentially, you get uh, a flop, a turn, and a river, which are five cards in the middle of the table that everyone that's playing in the game essentially shares those cards, right? And then you also get two cards that are just yours that are face down that no one else sees. So I just basically took that concept and wanted to apply it to, you know, team building, roster construction, that sort of thing. And so what we're doing is in essence, we, we are all starting with a couple of players or potentially three players in one case that we all share. And then we are like picking our own players in essence, our two cards that are face down on the table in Texas Hold'em uh, and of players that we think are good fits around the players that we're all sharing. So, uh, you know, we're mostly picking, we're, we're exclusively picking duos that, uh, you know, had a lot of success but failed to get to the mountaintop. And the idea is we're going to 
try to pick some players that, uh, you know, could have supported them and potentially gotten them a championship had they been on the roster with them. And we're using role players from, you know, any time period, whether that's current or from the 70s or 80s or 90s, what, what have you. And our main stipulations for selecting those role players is one or fewer all-star appearances, no all-NBA, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I love it. I love it. Every time, I mean, it's succinct. It's the point. It's fun. It's exciting. And I think it'll make for a great show here for you listeners. So yeah, without further ado, Garrett, let's kind of run through. We can run through each team, I guess, Josh, if you want to kind of run through each of the teams and then we could start with the first team, Josh, Garrett, myself, and we'll just go around from there. Yeah, so we wanted to kind of tip off this now being a series with 90s teams because that was a formulative era for for most of us. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, there were just a lot of really interesting duos and, and one trio uh, that took place in the 90s that were, were really successful, fascinating case study of like how to build teams around those types of players. But like Garrett said, never won the championship. So tonight or during the day, whenever you're listening to it, it's night for us. Um, context. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking about Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter duo of the uh early early 90s uh portland trailblazers gonna talk about run tmc from the golden state warriors we're gonna talk about the shack and penny partnership in orlando and then we're gonna talk about the glove and the rain man up in seattle very excited to kind of break into these teams take a little trip down memory lane for some um and for those who aren't aware a little bit of an nba history lesson but It'll definitely be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I we kind of have it set in terms of contention, like you said, earliest to more modern times, if you will, uh, at least for this series. So let's start way back at the very beginning. Uh, and I know, Josh, you were from there. I, I think I was and I wanted to go to start with you for Portland. Kind of go into the Portland Blazers from that time and a little bit of a, a retrospective on them before we get going here. Yeah, I grew up in Oregon, so... Uh... I have a connection to the Blazers, even if I haven't always loved uh, their approach. Um, but uh, this, like, early 90s, the first few years of the 90s, the Blazers were a ridiculously good team um, that that went to the finals uh, twice, uh, like, were very close to getting in a third time. Like, very competitive team, and they were primarily built around Clyde the Glide Drexler and Terry Porter. And Clyde was one of the most elite transition players I've ever seen. And and he had this smoothness to him, which is where the nickname came from, like the, the Glide. Like, like, he had the hops, he had the hang time, but it wasn't at like a ferocious hang time like MJ's it was like the smooth hang time hence the glide um and then Terry Porter was basically a modern day uh point guard back in the like late 80s early 90s like he would you know 
at the time, relative to the time period, a pretty high volume three point shooter, and especially like off the dribble and above the break type threes. Like the Terry Porter coming out nowadays would be very much in the mold of like a Dame uh, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, they had a lot of good, um, like dirty work type players around them. Um, I would argue that the main reason they never quite crested the mountaintop was um, Russia wouldn't let Arvidas Sabonis come over when he uh, when the Blazers drafted him. And when he finally did come over, it was after multiple Achilles surgeries that qualified him for a like handicapped parking sticker. Um, if they had another dynamic player like that, I think there's a chance that there'd be more than one championship trophy in the Blazers' office. Yeah, yeah, do you have anything to add there? Well, yeah, I mean, beyond just the you know the misfortune about Sabonis that Josh was mentioning, but also just the competition was fierce at that time, right? Uh, the in 1990, they lost to the bad boy Detroit Pistons, one of the deepest teams, one of the best defensive teams in the history of the league. In 91, you know, they're going up against uh, they had a great regular season in 91. And, uh, you know, they went up against Magic pretty much in his prime. And uh, then in, in 92, you're going up against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So uh, they faced some pretty stiff competition. And, you know, perhaps if that same team had been around at a different era where, you know, their opponent wasn't an all-time great uh, team, you know, they, they might have pulled through even without Sabonis. Yeah, I definitely think they had the talent. Um, I think also by the time, you know, I, I think it's weird because by the time Sabonis came, he definitely could have, you know, if he came, what, at this point, 90, like 91, 92 would have been when he was supposed to come, right? Or was it 88? Uh, probably, I think he was drafted he was in drafted like 86. 86. Oh, yeah. so yeah, they had that 86, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, but, so he mm-hmm. should have been able to come in at any point <laughs> before mm-hmm. this 90s setup, but he didn't show up until late 90s, I think. Like, yeah, near the very, very end of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also I don't think the, Blazers, the the early Blazers didn't really have a full, they went to the finals twice. I think you could put their contention window between eighty nine and ninety two, ninety three. After that, injuries really hit Clyde. Even though he was a productive player, once he got traded up until he retired, pretty much, um, they gave up on they like, straight up waived Terry Porter. Um, I think in ninety four, ninety five, um, and at that point it was it was Trader Bob. Um, Bob Woodson took over and did a swiftly set about dismantling any. Um, remnant of that finals contending team back in 1992. Like he was Corbin playing basketball GM. (laughs) (laughs) Trade everybody. Start a new. Start clean. And and, and you're right, sadly. I hate to say it. But like in that one way, I wish he hadn't because like I don't know how maybe you go, you know, I think Rod Strickland was a weird fit when they had him alongside Terry Porter because Terry was kind of the primary guy. Rod really couldn't shoot the ball, needed to play on ball. Terry played more of the two, but that was kind of Clyde's position. As he got older, he went more to the three, but you had Jerome Kersey there. And, then you know, you had Cliff Robinson as well, and he won a bigger role. So it was definitely different, the dynamic. Um, and that's why you had some weird, you know, ni- weird Blazers teams between 94 and 96 before you finally got that 97 to 2003 Blazers team with Rasheed Wallace and Sabonis and Damon Sotomayor and all of them. So 
Um, yeah, it, I think if there's one thing to be said, some of it was injuries that kind of curtailed. And Terry Porter did drop off a bit. Like, he definitely became, like, solid backup point guard after 94-95. But he still played till like, 2003 or 2002. Yeah. And then Clyde, I mean, he was productive up until he retired in 97. So I still think that there was a good solid play from them. Um, but they definitely – their peak was, was, was quick. They made it, and then they 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 went down. So, yeah, that's kind of the Blazers. Um, and this is where we're at right now. Yeah, but maybe, mm-hmm. just maybe, that peak would have reached a little higher to the mountaintop if they had some of the players the three of us think would complement them very well. I agree. Perfect transition, Josh. Let's get into it. Yeah, we <laughs> transition king over here. Like Clyde in transition or Monte Ellis in transition. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Garrett, why don't you start um, with the players you thought, your thought process, your fit, you know, who you decide to put around the Blazers, and then we'll go to Josh and myself. Okay, so, I mean, Corbin, you, you broke it down that, uh, you know, that Porter and Drexler were both really good scorers. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't prioritize scoring too much with the, with the three guys that I put around them. Uh, I wanted to focus primarily on, on defense and, you know, just some complementary offensive skills. So one thing I also think is pretty important when you have a couple of offensive engines in the likes of, you know, Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler is, you know, also easing the burden on them defensively as well. So the first guy I thought of that I think would be a great fit having a great season this year with the Boston Celtics is Derek White. Uh, He, uh, you know, can guard multiple positions. Uh, He can, you know, if the opposition has a star point guard, he can guard that player. If they have a star, you know, wing player, he can also guard them. Offensively, he can play on and off the ball, which is, is beneficial. He's, you know, I think an underrated passer, uh, a guy that, uh, you know, can make some timely cuts can hit the spot up threes uh, and, you know, yeah, just uh, is a guy that does a lot of the little things that you want around a couple of star offensive pieces. So we're starting there. And then I also thought that like, if, if there was one sort of thing that this team might need a little bit offensively outside of Porter and Drexler is a little bit of a post-up threat. So um, I also think the team could use some passing as well. Cause you know, even though Porter and Drexler are, Decent passers, that's not like their strength. Uh, so I went with Boris Diaw as a player that, uh, you know, can post up some mismatches, add some passing, um, can shoot a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I thought he would be a, a really good fit offensively to make this team really, really difficult to guard. And then finally, uh, you know, I think this team needs some uh, shot blocking, some rim protection. So I went with Marcus Camby as uh, as my center for this squad. Wow. That is really solid. Now like like you said it wasn't prioritizing offense but complementary talents, complementary talents that fit around the core that we're going with. So really good. Okay. I'm with it. Yeah, I like that group. Uh I I had a somewhat similar concept for the the first player that came to mind for me which is Again, you kind of want to take some of the defensive pressure off of Terry and Clyde, um, and you want somebody who can open up the floor for them a little bit, somebody who can space. You want an elite point of attack, ideally wing-sized defender who can – like, I love Derek White, but 
those three together might still struggle against some of the bigger wings. Um, so I, I actually was looking at guys like OG on a newbie, Shane Battier. Ultimately, I decided on Mikhail Bridges because Clyde and Terry can do the majority of the scoring, but you still probably need that third option who can step up um, when one of those two is getting rest on the bench. And so that's why I went with Mikhail Bridges. I think he can slide in with those guys and he can play a more complimentary role when all three of them are on the court at the time. And when, you know, Terry or Clyde go to the bench, Mikhail can step up a little bit and, and play more of a um, complimentary scoring option. I also thought, again, I want more space for these guys because uh, Clyde was an amazing slasher. Like I want to give him driving lanes. So I wanted a pick and pop big, ideally one who could rebound well and not be super atrocious on defense. And that got me thinking of guys like Terry Mills, who uh, nobody ever talks about Terry Mills, but Terry Mills was so ahead of his time. I just um, traded for him in my game. <laughs> of course he did. Uh, 38% uh, three-point shooter for his career. Um, and when you talk about like relative – um, three point attempts like per game in like 96, 97, he took five threes a game, which as a big, as a 6'10 guy, nobody took that many threes a game around that time. Um, I also thought about like Troy Murphy because again, I want to kind of emphasize rebounds and shooting, and Troy was like killer at rebounding and spacing but he wasn't quite enough defensively for me so i went with maxi kleba um not quite the shooter the other two are but definitely much better defensively um so we have two really nice defensive pieces to complement terry and clyde and then finally i think again like clyde's a slasher like you want to give him opportunities to get to the rim um and terry like we said is kind of a modern point guard who can shoot that off the dribble three-pointer uh and that sort of thing so i wanted a elite screen setting big who can also operate out of handoffs with either of those two guys or mikhail bridges when one of them is on the bench um and ideally again uh somebody who's defensively helpful so I was thinking uh, Stephen Adams, uh, maybe somebody like Isaiah Hartenstein, who's kind of filling the same type of role for the Knicks right now uh, and has been killing it so far this year. Shout out to Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, I also was thinking about somebody like Mar Marcin Gortat, who is an elite pick and roll role man that like no one remembers, no one talks about but was like one of the best screen setters, a really good handoff guy at the time, and a fantastic role man, not like a vertical spacer, but somebody who almost always created good opportunities out of the role. Ultimately, I went with my guy, Steven Adams, because I think he sets the best screens I've ever seen set. <laughs> um, uh, on top of it, I, I think he has a little bit more of a handoff game than Gortat. Um and I, I trust him more as a rebounder than Hartenstein at the moment. So my three, Mikhail Bridges, Maxi Kleba, and Steven Adams. I like it. I like it. Um, I, to the surprise of no one, went into a different direction. 
um, looked at, you know, Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter. I saw the way they played. I was like, you know what they need? More spacing, more shooting, more offense, right? So I tried, and mind you, no disrespect to um, um, the guys that ended up playing with, um, the wingmen that ended up playing with both Porter and Drexler. It was Buck, um, oh my gosh, why can't I remember his last name now? Williams? Um, Buck Williams, thank you. Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey. But I just didn't think, I mean, even for the 90s, they didn't really space the floor that well. I mean, Jerome Kersey would shoot a bit, and I guess they both were good from like 15 feet and in. But I just think, you know, Clyde Drexler loved to shoot the three. Um, if you look at his numbers, it wasn't until later in his career that he actually was good at shooting the three. Um, he was just somebody that wanted to get on. Like, he took quite a bit, um, but was not a good efficient. The only guy who was like an efficient shooter from outside was Terry Porter. Clyde Drexler from like 20 feet and then was better. But from three, considering how much he wanted to shoot the three ball, um, wasn't super great. Uh, so that that was why I went with more spacing on my squad. So, um, yeah, for his career, 31% three-point shooter, which you don't really think about Clyde Drexler, but he shot – he was taking him from the time he entered the NBA, and uh, yeah. But yes, who I went with first? I wanted a wing that could kind of bang a little bit, um, didn't need an – and that's kind of what went with all these guys. A wing who could bang a little bit, defensively was somewhat versatile, um, could at least make offensive – like make offense um, in terms of capitalizing on shots that were opened up for him from penetration from Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter. He wasn't making his own offense, but that wasn't his job. Um, and so I went with P.J. Tucker. Um, thought he was somebody mobile, especially, you know, earlier career P.J. Tucker. He could play up just because he's big and stocky and just strong. But you would see him guard the Kevin Durants, right? Up until like three years ago, you would see him guard your star wing players, your LeBron James, all of them. So I went with P.J. Tucker. Um, and then with the bigger guy who would space the floor, I thought would do pick and pop really well. Could do pick and roll. wasn't really his game, but he was a guy who shot um, 36% from three and definitely took a bunch of them over his 11-year career, and that was Patrick Patterson. Um, again, just solid guy, you know, stocky, big, get some rebounds, space the floor. That's really it. Then I went with the, the predecessor to that archetype, um, a guy who was, again, just like you mentioned, Josh, um, being ahead of his time. Uh, and we talked about him before, and he's always factors into any historical rebuild, any game I play, anything. Um, Sam Perkins. I went with him at center um, because he's somebody that definitely had to shoot the ball, shot the ball really well, shot it early, you know, in, 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 in the 90s, as far as somebody who was a stretch big, but he had a polished low post game, and he could rebound the ball, and he wasn't bad running the floor either. And so I think he's someone there that can kind of play with them in transition, um, whether it is, you know, transition – threes whether it is you know playing off the pick and roll you can have good corners action between him and patrick patterson um pj tucker spacing in the corner clyde drexler on one part you know and then you um terry Porter on the other it's definitely more offensively skewed um this is my personality but i wanted guys that can at least pretend to be two-way and in this in this um exercise for me everyone that i picked for um, matching around both Clyde and Terry were all part of solid defenses, at least schematically. Even though they weren't great individual defenders, maybe only great ind individual defender had P.J. Tucker, but both Sam Perkins and Patrick Patterson were on really good defensive teams over the course of their careers. So, yeah, that was that was my uh, impassioned argument for more offense around Clyde Jackson and Terry Porter. It's interesting, though, because, yeah, I mean, there's – you did get some shooting in there, but you did essentially go with like three bigs 
um, around those those two guys. So you you did you do have some size, even though you don't have like a traditional center in there. Yeah, and what's funny is I was going to put for my three and, and all three big solid mm-hmm. defenders. All three solid defenders. Yeah, in fact, the one I was going to put to play the three alongside them was uh, Trey yeah. Murphy, uh, not Troy Trey. But I thought Pizza Tucker a little more versatile defensively. And, I mean, yeah, I want offense around Clyde and Terry, but they don't need the outsized offense that Trey could potentially bring at the lack of defense compared to a P.J. Tucker, who, you know, is a four and a five, but also a three because of his size. But, yeah, I definitely was looking more in that way with those guys. So, yeah. Um, So one more time just before we close it out, um, Garrett, Josh, and then myself. For the Blazers, you're starting five. Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, and? I've got, yes, I've got uh, Terry Porter at point, Derek White at shooting guard, Clyde Drexler at the three, Boris Diaw at power forward, and Marcus Camby at the five. Solid. And I've got Terry Porter, Clyde Drexler, Mikhail Bridges, Maxi Kleba, and Steven Adams. Okay. And then I have Terry Porter at the one, Clyde at the two, PJ Tucker at the three, Patrick Patterson at the four, and Sam Perkins at the five. I like it. Three di- similar yet totally different philosophies with really unique rosters. That's what I love about this so much. But moving on from the Blazers at a brisk pace to the run TMC Golden State Warriors. Um, who wants to break this squad down? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I think this team had its uh you know had the most success in the 1991 season where they had that uh, shocking upset defeating the San Antonio Spurs in the first round before losing to Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers in the uh, Western Conference semifinals but uh you know run TMC if you've never heard that before it stands for Tim Mitch and Chris which is Tim Hardaway Mitch Richmond Chris Mullen Those three guys were three of the best offensive players in the league at their position at that time, so they were clearly a very explosive offensive unit. They were coached by uh, the legendary Don Nelson, who, uh, you know, uh, decided that, uh, yeah, my best players are offensive guys, so we're going to lean all the way in on offense. Even if that means uh, we're going to play like shooting guards at the power forward spot, we're going to do it. Uh, so they didn't uh, they didn't have a ton of defense there. And that, uh, I think, ultimately was what uh, sort of did them in. And then, you know, beyond that 91 season, I think shortly after that, the following year, Tim Hardaway tore his ACL. And uh, I don't think the, the three of them ever really had a uh, fully healthy run after that. But uh for their time, it was uh, absolutely a joy to watch. Uh, they uh, played a, a really fun brand of basketball, and the three of those guys also had very different styles and how they succeeded on the offensive end of the ball. And they also had a guy off the bench, bench in Sarunas Marshallonis that uh, was kind of a slasher type that also brought a sort of different style of play, almost like a, a little bit of like a Manu Ginobili before Manu came into the league. I like that. I like that. As Josh points to his uh, hero, uh, in his mind, one of the best shooting guards of all time. I'm just, I'm just kidding. He is one of the best shooting guards of all time. Um, Manu Ginobili. Okay, I was um, going to say. Josh, any thoughts, it, in my opinion, Manu <laughs> is one. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, like uh, the the fun thing about this team 
is you've got these three players who are all three level scorers. All of them are like extremely dangerous in transition. And they had a coach in Don Nelson who gave up the reins. He basically had a rule where like, if you're not screwing up, I'm not going to call plays. Like, I want you guys to play free. I want you to push the pace. I want you guys to, like, be decision makers on the court. Um, and then when you screw up, I'll call a timeout, and we'll <laughs> I'll start calling some plays. Um, and you had Tim Hardaway, like Garrett mentioned, they all kind of had slightly different styles in terms of the uh, offensive impact that they had, even though they were kind of similar in terms of the actual offensive impact overall. But you had Tim Hardaway, who, in my opinion, still has the greatest crossover ever. The UTEP two-step, a.k.a. the killer cross. Um, uh, Mitch Richmond, who was like an athletic marvel, but was an applied athletic marvel, <laughs> where um, like he used that athleticism very well to be the type of like destructive score that he was. Um, and then Chris Mullen game had a, had yep. a nice post game as a guard. Yes, he did. Um, and, and then Chris Mullen, who he had a couple of seasons where the numbers weren't great, but he was an elite shooter, somebody who teams really feared shooting the ball. So all three kind of also had that nice synergy where they didn't, there was some overlap between all three, but not so much that it was kind of a, your turn, my turn, his turn type thing, they were able to kind of work collectively. Um, and like Garrett said, it was just a blast to watch. Um, the one downside is outside of, you know, pretty good steals numbers for all three. You wouldn't call any of them particularly good defenders necessarily. <laughs> like solid maybe, but not like strong defenders in my opinion uh, i know garrett maybe disagrees with me um i just don't think any of them would be like tops of your list for like a defensive team type thing but uh like garrett alluded to that team just didn't have enough defense around those three to to help them get to where they needed to get and like i love you know manute bowl but Manute Ball wasn't doing it. They did have a chance to get uh, Dikembe Mutombo once, but that didn't play out either. And yeah, yeah. I'll just mention, and uh, I, I agree mostly, Josh, in terms of like the fact that the three of those, if you if you talk about them as a as a trio, yeah, not a ton of defense. I will say, I think Mitch Richmond is very underrated as a defensive player. He's not like you know an all defensive level guy, but I think Michael Jordan was even quoted as saying like he was the toughest guy to go against, like talking about on offense and defense. Um, and, you know, he had a lot of strength, uh, even though he didn't have like a ton of size, but a strong guy. And, and you already mentioned pretty good athlete as well. So uh, I think he was a good defender, but yeah, when you're, when you're next to a couple of guys, especially a guy like Mullen, who was really limited on that end, um, you know, if you're not like an elite, elite guy, it probably doesn't matter too much. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that Mitch Richmond in general, it was underrated, right? Like one of the great shooting guards of the 90s, but really like one of the great shooting guards. Like, yeah, he's not one that immediately comes to mind, but you look at, you know, having misfortune just playing on some really bad teams, I think, 
um, after run TMC. You know, I went to a Sacramento squad where, you know, kind of toiled in mediocrity for years and they finally made the playoffs and they went to Washington, toiled in mediocrity for years. And then they finally, you know, they were still bad. They finally let him go. He finished his career, I think, in Los Angeles, if I remember. He went out with the ring, which was great. By that point, like he was done, done. You know what I mean? So like, you know, he just spent most of his prime on squads that just weren't very good um, and put up good numbers on, on bad teams. And it, I don't think it was any knock on him. It just happened to be the situation that he was on, you know? Uh, but yeah, underrated, I think, multifaceted shooting guard. Like one of the great guards that really isn't talked about. Now, I know he's kind of like the barometer for the Hall of Fame, which I think is hilarious. Um, oh, they're better than Rich Richmond? Like, you know, but I, I definitely want to give him some love there. Well, and, and one more point in terms of like what Josh was talking about in terms of that the three of them had good synergy is we, we got to bring up that Chris Mullen was that off-ball shot creator. I think that's a big part of it. If you've got three guys that are scorers, you know, having a couple of guys in in your backcourt that are more on-ball, uh, having Mullen as well that can run off screens, spot up, and, and score just, you know, in transition as well, just with catch-and-shoots. Um, you know, was uh, was really beneficial to the three of them being able to all put up points and all contribute while playing at the same time. That's a fair point. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. That's a well nice said. Point here. Well point. said. Well and, said. And something I think, joking aside, behind the scenes, I'm yucking it up. But like something I think the important point that you brought up, Garrett, is again, it, it it was a good exploration of how they got their offense, right? And the value of that in terms of opening up for that to make run TMC happen. Otherwise, he could have had a lot of teams in the 90s. We're not, no one's talking about the 91 Denver Nuggets, right? <laughs> like the Paul West had Denver Nuggets. But like you said, it's the value of having that. And so no, I definitely think that's the point. Um, so with that, yeah, um, let's get started. I can, I guess I'll go first on this one. Um, I, I feel like I left leaned offense in all of these. Which does run teams you really need more offense? Maybe not, but here we are. Um, so I tried though to go with offensive players or guys who brought value offensively, um, that didn't need like they brought value offensively, so they hit my quota, but they could at least defend their position, if not more. Um, so I went with um, at the I have um, Tim Hardaway, point guard, Mitch Richmond, two guard. Now, this is where things get funky. I have Chris Mullen at the three or the four. And then I was having a tough time between Robert Ori and Danny Green. Ultimately, I ended up going with Robert Ori. Although I really wanted Danny Green just because Robert Ori plays the four. Like he could play the three and the four, especially if you got early 90s, I mean, mid 90s, um, early Lakers, Robert Ori. Uh, by the time he was the Lakers, Rick Foss is small forward. But anyway, if you got like mid-90s Robert Ory, when he was playing with the Rockets, he was listed small forward, but at 6'10", you know, 220, whatever, he could play the four, right? Um, and so I have him there, someone who, you know, again, stretches the floor, could make shots. Um, early in his career, could do a little bit more offensively, um, but with someone who could defend his position capably, right? With a solid defensive player. Um, Danny Green didn't make the cut just because he was a little smaller. Um, and that was really it. Uh, I would want him in place of where Tim or Mitch or Chris is, but then they all got to be bumped up a position. Didn't really know how I felt about Mitch playing to three if I had Danny there because then Chris would play the four and Tim has to be a point guard. Like he's going to defend point guard. So that was the concept of trying to fit in between this structure here. So Robert Roy made the cut at four. Then at five, I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? Like if you look at Don Nelson teams, they didn't really have big bruising fives, right? Like it was a guy run the floor 
you know, sell out screens if you space the floor or, you know, due to the rules in the er the early to mid-90s, the implied spacing of the floor with his own defensive rules, that'd be great. Um, So I want Miles Turner. Um, There's a guy, again, stretches the floor, plays defense, he's a rim deterrent, more of a rim deterrent than they had. Like, no disrespect to Tom Tolbert, but, you know, you have someone there um, in, in Miles Turner who can do a little bit of a better job there, but he's also someone who can run the floor with these guys, right? And I think that's good set, good screens, play off of that. And I think it opens up different actions between Hardaway and Richmond and Mully, Mullen and Turner to bring the most out of him. And it's not like Turner can't do anything off of a post-up. Like, he's not a post-up guy. You just give it to him and let him, quote-unquote, go to work. But he can take advantage of that, you know, if he's on a mismatch. And I think that could happen uh, with a team that has guys like Hardaway, Richmond, and Mullen ready to take you off the dribble. So, ultimately... I went with Tim Hardaway Jr., Mitch Richmond at the two, Chris Mullen at the three, Robert Ory at the four, Miles Turner at the five. My honorable mentions slash tough cuts were Danny Green, and then just for pure offenses, offenses sake, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I will say, like, in terms of, I think you're, yeah, as you said, you're maximizing the offense there. You're giving those three stars plenty of space and room to operate, which is good for them. Uh, I I do feel like uh, defense is still going to be lacking with that team, even as as decent of a rim protector as Miles Turner is, and also defensive rebounding. I don't think that's uh, going to be a strength of that of that five either. You know what? I hadn't actually. I the defense in my mind as you were saying that I'm typing, but think of the offense. But defensive rebounding was something I got to say I did not um, consider as well as I should have, especially considering yeah, for you know he wasn't a very good rebounder, Robert Ory and Miles Turner for his size is like, eh, you know. So yeah, I kind of agree. Like Mitch Richmond can get in there, Chris Mullen can get some rebounds. Like go to work, y'all. Um, at least grab a rebound to, to get off the break. But no, I agree with you. That's 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 something um, I probably should have put more of a thought process into th- more evaluation into because yeah, the rebounding something you're right. Like yikes shaggy, you know, Josh, did you want to say yours next? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the concept Corbin, but I agree with Garrett that like, I personally, I'd want a little more rebounding. Um, yeah. And part of that is these guys were at their most dangerous in transition. So my goal is to improve that defense while increasing transition opportunities. So I'm looking for, um, you know, defensive chaos agents that create deflections, create steals, block shots, uh, get defensive rebounds and outlet and push. Um, And so I I actually thought about Robert Ori as an option. Um. But there were two players I thought were more interesting for that than Ori. One was Andre Kirilenko, um, who is the definition of a defensive chaos agent um, and, and I think would fit in very well with these guys. But I ultimately went with another person, Robert Covington, because I feel like Robert Covington brings more spacing than Andre Kirilenko does. Um and so I think Robert Covington can be the the four for this team and can, you know, help the team defense. Uh, he sometimes like he could do point of attack defense, but I think he was always much more impactful being essentially the, the T 
team defense's free safety, for lack of a better term. Um, but I think he could improve their overall team defense while generating more transition opportunities, and he can space when they are in the half court. Um, and then <clears throat> the other way to create transition opportunities is to rebound more, right? So I wanted a really strong rebounder who is also a rim deterrent and who isn't necessarily going to be gunning for a lot of shots because let's be honest, you're not going to get them with these three guys. Um, uh, Not that they were unwilling passers, but just like the volume of shots these guys are taking. Um, So I I thought of somebody like an Omeka Okafor, um, who is another guy really solid. No one ever talks about him, but strong rebounder, good screen setter, um, a rim deterrent, even if not like an elite one. But then the guy came to me, Clint Capella, uh, you know, fantastic uh, screener who would work with all three of these guys very well in that situation. Amazing rim protector and rebounder. So for me, I went with Tim Hardaway at the one, Mitch Richmond at the two, Chris Mullen at the three, Robert Covington at the four, and Clint Capella at the five. I like that. Solid. Yeah. So uh, I, I, uh, yeah, took a similar approach in terms of what you were talking about, Josh, in terms of like igniting transition opportunities. And I focused almost exclusively on blocking shots. Um, And uh, so my first, my first pick is going to be Evan Mobley. And my thought there is, a, the run TMC, they all can shoot, right? So if we have one non-shooter on the floor, that's not that big of an issue. Um, but what Mobley does provide is, of course, the defense, not only with the rim protection, but he also can be a guy, I think, that while the Cavs haven't utilized him a lot in these scenarios, but a guy that you can throw on elite wings to defend. So he can act as both a guy that can defend the, the opposition's wing stars and can be a rim, rim deterrent. Uh, and then on the offensive end, like, you know, you want to have a couple of bigs out there to set screens for Chris Mullen off the ball. You're running a lot of pick and rolls with the likes of uh, of Tim Hardaway and Mitch Richmond. So uh, wanted to have uh, a couple of guys that can set screens. So my second guy, another shot blocker, but also a guy that can do that and space the floor is Brooke Lopez. So uh, I'm going with Mobley and Lopez getting a ton of size, a ton of shot blocking, because again, that run run TMC team is going to give up a lot of penetration to the basket. So you need multiple rim rim protectors to, uh, you know, maintain even an okay offense. And hopefully you get those positive loops where you get a shot block and that gets the team out and running. And uh, yeah, um, you know, you still got four shooters with Lopez and then Mobley as the guy that can be in the dunker spot or a guy setting screens. That's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I guess I'm not totally sold on Mobley guarding perimeter players potentially, like more than like switch action. Um, like the potential's there, but. I don't know. I guess that'll be my one thought process. And like him was, a, but you had Brooke Lopez. I was gonna say like at first when you brought him up, like oh, I don't know about all that. But then Brooke Lopez there is like it doesn't even really matter. Like he's definitely someone there. Um, offensively, I do wonder like what Mobley does, um, just because like that's his weakness now, and like he doesn't space the like in theory space the floor, but he doesn't space the floor. 
He's not doing a whole lot when you do have, you know, the run TMC crew there. And also defense will know that because they know that now. So it's not like they're like even treating him like a threat. Cause he's just like, we saw how he was in the playoffs of the mix. Like in general, like he has the potential there, but it's not come together offensively. So that's, that would be my biggest concern. I mean, I think the the issue that you saw with Mobley in the playoffs was like playing with another center in Jared Allen. So when he caught the ball, you know, on the short roll, say they, you know, the 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 Knicks blitz the likes of Garland and Mitchell, Mobley gets a four on three. He's got Allen's man at the rim, Mitchell Robinson, there to stop him from getting all the way to the basket. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a pass to the corner, but that might be Isaac Okoro, right? <laughs> Whereas um, in this situation, there's no defender at the basket because Brooke Lopez is spotted up behind the three-point line. There's mm. no weak shooter, so there's no one that they're leaving like the Knicks left Isaac Okoro either because you're not giving up a wide-open shot to Chris Mullen or, you know, Mitch Richmond or Tim Hardaway. So yeah, uh, I think a lot of the issues we saw from Mobley in the playoffs last year is much more context-dependent. And this is going to be an ecosystem that is perfect for his skill set because he can handle it. He can pass and he can finish when, you know, you don't have a seven footer there at the rim to stop him. That's fair. No, that when you brought up, I mean, (laughs) when you brought up Isaac Coral and Jared Allen, it drew, it drew, maybe I was drawing too much from that team specific context in that. So, no, I definitely see what you mean and can agree there for sure. Um, so yeah, let's one more time before we go into the next team. Let's run through, um, run through the run team secret. Um, so I'll just again, I'll, okay, I'll start here. Um, I have, of course, Tim Hardaway at the point guard position, Mitch Richmond playing the two, Chris Mullen at the three, Robert Ori at the four, Miles Turner at the five. Let's get 50 games. I have Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, Chris Mullen at, on the perimeter with Robert Covington and Clint Capella um, up front with them. All right. Yeah, I had Tim Hardaway at point, Mitch Richmond at shooting guard, Chris Mullen at small forward. Then I had Evan Mobley at power forward and Brooke Lopez at center. There we go. I like it. Solid, solid, as always here. So let's go into the 95 Magic. Um, I'll be happy to go about them. I argued so passionately about them over the last uh, couple of shows to make the cut here, which, yes, a derivative of Shaq Kobe. I get it. But I also think it's totally different. Um, (laughs) Derivative, same, but no. Um, So what we get here, um, I think, with the 95 Magic, um, I know I'm messing around. We all wanted Shaq Penny, but I wanted them more than Rick Smith and Reggie Miller, and I stand by that. But anyways, um, going to the 95 Magic, um, I what was different in my mind for this is you obviously have a younger skill now, right? Um, but somebody who was much more mobile. I mean, the Shaq, Kobe, Lakers, you still had a Shaq who could run down the floor. Mind you, being 7'1", 300 pounds and moving at all like that is just a marvel in general. So I don't like to say like Shaq overweight, like he wasn't moving. Like just to be as big as he was in general and still get down the floor was great. But the Shaq you had in the nineties with the magic was a monster. That was like, uh, like he was dominant. He was huge, but he was quick, like a gazelle quick, you know, and you ready to run the floor. You look at the early highlights, he could lead the break. Um, didn't necessarily want that, but he was someone that could do that. Um, you had a great spacer, 
Um, well, I'll, I'll talk about, yeah, I'm going to talk about the other guys first. Um, you had a great spacer in uh, Dennis Scott. Um, he came in the league as a shooter, kind of went a little bit more one-dimensional. And, you know, he had um, he had some, um, later in his career, just like weight issues. But like in the moment, like when he was playing in the moment, like with the 94-95, he was a guy who was like a, a, a stretch big. I would say a stretch. He was a small forward, but what, 6'8", good size, boom. You had Nick Anderson who before Shaq, before Penny was the Magic's like crown jewel, he was their first first round draft pick, came into league more as a slasher, turned himself into a really good shooter um, about just before the finals came around. Um, really, you know, really solid defensively. He was routinely put on the other player's best or other team's best um, perimeter player. Um, we saw what he did um, on Jordan in the, night, in the Eastern Conference Finals in 95. Just a really solid player. Um, then, you know, this team was solid, but the power forward, you had Horace Grant. And at 93-94, the Magic were kind of going through different players. Um, you had Larry Kristowiak. Um, I think I said that right. Uh, former NCAA coach. A solid four, but just a serviceable working kind of power forward. You had Jeff Turner, who was a stretch big. Um, another guy kind of ahead of his time, I put him, I put Pat Garrity as like just the guys, they were like the Ryan Anderson, like archetypes in my mind, guys who just stretched the floor and did a very good job of that. Um, but when Horace Grant came, we had someone who really brought the power and power forward. Um, solid, you know, came up of age with those early 90s Bulls with that first three-peat, obviously known for the goggles, but was a really good rebounder, had a really good perimeter jump shot, like 16 feet and in was really solid there, and I thought he played well off of Shaq, which, like, in modern times now, you might want someone, you know, opening up the floor a little bit more, but Horace Grant was really good there, and he was the adult in the room for this young team. And then lastly, Penny Hardaway, and I love Penny Hardaway. Um, I, Ahead of his time, you've got a lot of comparisons to Magic Johnson, but, I, I mean, I think he'd be a really good point forward now. I'm not sure what archetype I would put him as. Like, I was trying to think of, like, a professional player now that like fits Penny Hardaway. And I, I just didn't draw one. Maybe you were, or Gary Josh can come up with one over the course of this, but you had a guy six foot seven, great court vision. He had a really strong post-up game for a guy that was kind of lean, but he could take, if you were a smaller guard, he could take you down the post, had a nice hook shot, had some moves down low. Uh, wasn't the best shooter. Um, wasn't the best shooter consistently from three, but he could definitely shoot the ball as well. And he had great chemistry with Shaq you're talking about a guy who's six seven you know coming in can easily see over the top of the defense can run in transition and the only thing that really messed him up honestly was the knee injuries he had later in his career um I think 90 he had some in 95 96 but like 97 98 um 2001 2002 you know and he still carved himself out like a good 12-year career but he was really only super effective for about six or seven of those um mostly all of his Orlando time and then parts of his uh, early part with Phoenix um, before kind of bouncing around due to injury. So that was that 94, 95 magic team. They really caught lighting in a bottle. I want to say in 95, because they kind of all gelled together. You had Scott um, and Hardo and, and Scott and Anderson and roles that worked for them. Um, no ego really among that team there. Penny was playing amazing. Shaq was really coming into his own horse grant. You know, 31 was still in the prime of his career, and they went on a great run all the way up until um, game one, an epic collapse, some missed free throws, some Rockets threes, out with the dustpan. And then the next year, unfortunately, between injuries and um, a way to really fumble 
um, the bag from a free agency perspective for the Orlando Magic front office, you ended the dynasty before it ever really started. So that was that was my thoughts on the Magic. And real quick, I'm gonna let you, uh, or Garrett, you threw out a, a comp. I am interested. In, I know we don't really talk too much about player player comps, and no, Josh had a thought there, but I really want to put a perspective of a guy just to think about for context for Penny Hardaway. I mean, you could just YouTube him and look at the highlights there and draw your own conclusions. But like for someone who he was kind of unique, I don't want to say he was a unique player because people compare to Magic Johnson. Like that was back then. And I definitely don't see it as much just because you're six, seven, six, eight and can pass is great, but like different types of game. But that was why I was going to go for a comp there. But bottom line, I've already spent at least eight minutes time with this Magic team. I loved it. I love the uniforms. I thought they were destined to win at least one championship. I thought they ended too soon. I thought they had a really good ESPN documentary, um, One Magic Moment or This Magic Moment with Shaq and Penny. Highly recommend that. Um, and that's all I got. Yeah, my uh, my comp, it's 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 not super clean or anything, but uh, how about like pre-injury Sean Livingston with, with a jumper? <laughs> um, you know, because, mm-hmm. yeah, Livingston could post up some, like, Prior to that devastating knee injury was a really, really good fluid athlete. Um, You know, again, a a similar size, I think, to what Penny, Penny Hardaway was at around six, seven. So uh, yeah, that, that would be the closest one, but yeah, there's not too many uh, players that are are like Penny. He was, uh, he was pretty unique. Um, And yeah, like uh, what you brought up with that 95 team, it seemed to really gel. I think the pieces fit and it's funny because like, this is maybe spoiling what what I'm about to do in terms of what players I picked, but like I think the guys that were on that '95 team around Shaq and Penny were pretty ideal, and I think mm-hmm. a, a big part of the reason why they didn't succeed was a they didn't get multiple years to to try it. You know, in '96, Horace Grant gets hurt and they lose in the conference finals, um, and then beyond that, you know, they they. They have the injuries to Penny and then Shaq obviously leaving for for L.A. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, uh, you know, if that team would have been given the time, I think that could have uh, really gelled into something special that uh, would have would have gotten there. So, yeah, I think uh, it, it was largely youth and inexperience, I think, that really uh, did them in, at least in that 95 NBA finals against the Rockets. And I, I would com- agree there, guy. Mm-hmm. I completely agree as well. <laughs> like I, I think <laughs> they this is the team which is interesting because like the Blazers went to two finals. Um, but I feel like this this core, this Shaq Penny core is probably the core out of the, these four that was the most likely to actually win a championship if they had stayed together. Um mm. and Again, you have two really unique players. Like you both have kind of talked about the uniqueness of Shaq. I mentioned in our chat that Shaq is like the elite pro athlete version of Chris Farley, like massive, but so freaking fluid and agile. Um, it, like to the point that it boggles your mind. You're like, I don't understand how Chris Farley can high kick <laughs> as much <laughs> as he can, or 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 like how Shaq is moving at that size the way he is. <coughs> and then Penny, uh, like Garrett mentioned, you just don't find a whole lot of players that size with that combination of skills. 
that that Penny had. Um, and you get both kind of mentioned, you know, injuries happened, uh, inexperience. Um, I think that might be the worst free agent fumble in of all time. Um, Cause like Shaq, I think would have come back <laughs> if you had just offered him the max, uh, but they offered him below the max to bring him back. And this was after Shaq uh, when Shaq came in, as like a rookie, Shaq came in as like the most entertaining and like the most hyped, uh, I, I think, uh, player since MJ in terms of like how much everybody just not just like on the court stuff, but like his media presence and like how he interacted with people and stuff. Like, I think he was the most magnetic player who had come out since MJ, basically. And they just totally were like, eh, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some money, but like, we don't want to give you too much money. And like, no, you throw the, the bank vault at this guy. You throw the bank vault at young Shaq. Um, and, and yeah, I agree with Garrett. I think the team around them was structured pretty well. I think there were a few tweaks that we're obviously going to get into that mm-hmm. would have taken them further um but yeah like one of the more entertaining duos that i can recall um and like corbin said all time uh like jerseys like logo design like that era magic so good (laughs) chef's kiss absolutely no 100 percent agree there um, so yeah, let's kind of get into it from here. Um, like I said, this is actually an interesting one. We all kind of pointed out this team as constructed worked really well. Um, like Garrett said, like Josh said, other factors were why, you know, they didn't come together in the way that we might've wanted to see an extended, you know, run at it where they really had what, if you want to count, I don't really count 94, but 94, 95, 96. And that was really it. You know, and each time in, in the playoffs, really underwhelming finishes, whether getting swept in the finals or getting swept by Chicago in, in, in the playoffs, you know, like not super great there. But, um, yeah, let's kind of talk about how we would at least upgrade or what we would do differently. Um, who hasn't gone first in this? Not that it really matters, but I, I definitely want to kind of there go. Josh, there we are. Yes. All right. So w- we mentioned how both these players were unique um, and, and- if you think about it as a defense, as a, as a defense going against the this duo, how exhausted are you as a normal, relatively normal sized point guard having to deal with Penny? Like, pretty yeah. exhausted, right? Kind of, kind of a kind of a deal, yeah. How exhausted is everybody dealing with Shaq? <laughs> so, also true. My goal is to add more spacing around these guys really ratchet up the defense and i wanted to get guys that really also exhausted the opponents Mm. so i wanted three types of defenders i wanted a point of attack defender uh i and all of these i want them ideally with size because the other thing that we note shaq's huge penny's huge for his role why not play into that and have just a massive team um, so I wanted a point of attack three and D guy. I wanted a help three and D guy, and I wanted a big wing 
point of attack three and D guy. So for the point of attack guy, there were a couple guys who came to mind. So like I've mentioned Lonzo Ball before in, in the past uh, NBA Hold'em. I think he'd fit in really well here, especially like juicing up the transition opportunities for these guys. Um, but I, I like two other players more. One, Garrett's already mentioned Derek White, I think would be a fantastic fit next to Penny in the backcourt. But the guy I ultimately went with was Alex Caruso. Because again, I want to freaking exhaust the opponents. <laughs> like, not only do you have to guard Penny Hardaway on one end, you're being guarded by Alex Caruso on the other. Like, you're you're in for a rough night. Off night, um, long night. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And Caruso's at 37% um, career from three on over 750 three-pointers, which is when three-point uh, field goal percentage tends to, uh, like, average out and, and like, actually be somewhat predictive. Um, for the help in 3D guy, again, I, I've thought about, like, somebody like Robert Ory. Um, but, again, I come back to Robert Covington <laughs> because, again, Covington is just that defensive chaos agent who's going to get those deflections, those steals, um, basically help um, be that elite help defender that Horace Grant was, but but to an even bigger extent in terms of also being able to space um, for them on, on beyond the mid-range. Horace was a very good mid-range shooter. Um, and then for the big point of attack guy, I was thinking of maybe somebody like Shane Battier, you know, somebody who doesn't really care about the touches, but is going to you know, be a tireless defender. I was thinking about Mikhail Bridges, but again, I want to exhaust <laughs> the opponents. So I went with OG on a newbie. So okay. my team, my lineup, uh, you're an opponent and you, you see the starting lineup against you is Penny Hardaway at point guard, Alex Caruso at two, um, Robert, uh, Robert Covington or OG on a newbie doesn't really matter where you slot them three or four. Um, and then Shaq at the five, that's a night, you know, you were going to be exhausted in the fourth quarter. You're going to be beat down by these guys. And, and that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to suggest that like just with, just with Shaq and Penny alone, that's still going to be a pretty good offense. But I think your strategy was mostly like, you know, maybe we won't, this team won't be quite as good on offense as that 95 magic squad, but significantly better on the defensive end. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yes, but I factored in that this is going to juice the transition opportunities for that team too. Yeah. And as we all know, the worst transition team in the league has a better points per possession than the very best half court team is in the league. So while we might not have that Nick Anderson third score type necessarily. We're going to be generating more transition opportunities. Um, so I feel like it'll even out. Plus, I, I think the the big goal here is by the fourth quarter, it's going to be really hard for teams to hang with these guys. After being hounded by Caruso and OG on a newbie with Covington being the help defender. <laughs> and then you have Shaq and Penny as well to deal with on defense. And also, like, those guys weren't terrible defenders themselves. Like, by the fourth quarter, 
the opposing team is going to be really struggling. And I think at that point, you have Shaq, you have Penny, and you have spacing around them, and you're getting transition opportunities. I think you're probably going to be good enough offensively to pull it out. That's odd. I definitely think it's interesting. Like you said, you're kind of keying in on that defense, keying in on on making it, you know, a, a rough night there. I also was thinking about Garrett. Like it seemed like you're taking maybe a step back offensively, but hearing you explain that, I guess it doesn't make sense on how you would then compensate using those chaos agents from the defensive side of the ball to create offense for the core. So I definitely kind of get where you're coming from. Definitely an interesting way of doing that for sure. Well, yeah, should I should I go with mine now? Oh, yes, absolutely. All right. So my strategy was more to keep the offense at about the same level that it was and maybe just try to slightly improve the defense. I, d- I definitely didn't improve the defense as much as Josh did. Um, but uh, so the first guy that I went with, and, you know, Nick Anderson, a lot of people, you know, if, if they're not familiar, was like, more than just a spot up guy. Like he could post up, he could do some self creation stuff. So I wanted to maintain that. So I went with a guy that has, uh, has really built up his self creation skills in the last couple of years. And that's Desmond Bain guy that uh, elite, elite shooter, you know, Penny and Shaq are going to draw doubles. So you need guys that are, uh, that are going to hit open shots. And then also like, you know, yeah, you want a guy also that can take some of that uh, offensive burden away from, from Shaq and, and Penny, as good as those two guys are, you don't want them using every possession because you still want them to have some energy on the defensive end. Uh, the next guy is uh, another, you know, Dennis Scott was an elite spot-up shooter, so I wanted another guy that was an elite spot-up shooter, but I felt like I could get that and upgrade because uh, Scott was not the best of defenders. So I went with uh, Trey Murphy the third here. Um, and, uh, you know, Finally, and, and this might be a, a, a bit of a hot take, but I'm going to make an argument here that having an elite mid-range shooter with Shaq at the four is actually better than having an elite three-point shooter with Shaq at the four. So I'm going with Horace Grant. I'm sticking with the, the exact power forward that this team had. And my argument as to why is because when you catch the ball at, say, the elbow where Horace Grant was, you know, pretty automatic from there, it's a lot easier to make those post-entry passes into Shaquille O'Neal, whether he's being fronted and you have to throw that ball over the top, or if he does a quick duck in and you've got to make that pass really quickly before the defender can get to three-quarter and try to knock it away. So I like the the fact that, like, you can have a guy – where that pass is a lot easier to make. I think Horace Grant was a solid was a solid passer, another reason why he was a good fit next to Shaq. And also, at times, you might even see Shaq garner so much attention that if Horace Grant notices his man shades a little bit to try to stop the pass, then Horace Grant is one dribble away from getting to the rim and taking advantage of his man, you know, putting too much attention on his teammate there. So... Um, I think like given that my one through three spots are all elite three-point shooters and then you've got an elite mid-range guy that can make those entries into Shaq, I think it works really well offensively. That's solid. I, I think that's interesting. I like that we're kind of went bold in different directions here. 
with with the makeup around this squad. Um, and in some cases, it went bold by saying the same, Garrett, um, in terms of keeping Horace Grant. So I like that. Um, I definitely went a little different as, you know, I, keep, I feel like I said it every time I go. But as good as Penny was at the one, my favorite iteration of Penny was as a playmaking two alongside a more ball-dominant guy in Stefan Marbury in those mid to early 2000s Phoenix Suns. I just thought it was really cool for someone to, you know, take or even backcourt 2000, if you like that, with him and Jason Kidd. I didn't because I wanted more offense at my point guard spot. But in this case, it's kind of a, a hybrid between backcourt 2000 and basically Penny at the two. Not yet, actually. So I was going to put... I had half a mind for one of my favorite players on this team, but I couldn't do it with a straight face, so I decided not to. But I did decide to move Penny Hardaway to the two and do a super size lineup um, with spacing, but with length. Um, so I have Penny Hardaway at the two. I have Shaq at the five. I have early career. We're talking 2000, like 2003. Eh, no, I probably should go to the five, two thousand six. Lamar Odom. I'm confused though, because if you're going supersized, why wouldn't Penny be at the one? Well, because I don't. Okay, so let me say the other guys I have here. So I have Lamar Odom at point, quote unquote. I have I had Trey Murphy, but I subbed him out for Hidu Turkaloo, and then I have Jaron Jackson Jr. and the reason why, as you can see, is I got bigger guys. I wanted, I have some spacing with Hidu Turkaloo. Now, defensively, I'm kind of weird on that, but I also have Shaq and I have Jaron Jackson. So I'm not too worried. It wasn't like Hidu was a horrible defender. He just wasn't like a great defender, right? But he was on, I mean, he was on some Stan Van Gundy defensive teams. I mean, with the Atlanta Magic, they weren't leaned on for their defense, but they they got it together when they when they had to, right? Um, and I thought he was solid there. I thought Lamar Odom is someone who defensively could kind of switch, be a lot of cross-matching. But defensively, he was solid. We saw what he could do. Um, wasn't the best shooter. I want him more on ball, but his vision was good. I mean, when he came in, they thought, you know, wasn't the case. But he was looked at as, like, someone who could be a point guard. He definitely played as a point forward in lineups for years. Um, and then Jerry Jackson Jr. is someone with additional length who I think could do a little better. Let me do a good job switching. Um, and he's not your sole rim protector. You still have Shaq in the back. Um, guys who I wanted to put in there, Trey Murphy was somebody I really wanted to slot in. Um, but I was on the fence, and then once I was selected, I was like, I'm just gonna, not going to put him in. And then Tim Thomas was another guy I was fond of, but just didn't make sense to put him in outside of me wanting Tim Thomas there. Um, but the reason why to go back, why Penny's playing the two, because Lamar Odom can't really play the two. Like, in my mind, they both, I mean, Lamar Odom can play the two, but they both are kind of point forwards, if you will. And for my brain to make sense of it, Penny's played the two. He can swing between point guard through small forward. I feel like Lamar Odom has done it, but, like, he's really, like, small forward, power forward, who can play point guard. Jaron Jackson, the four, because where else? And then he would trickle at the three. Um, I guess he could be your supersized two. It was definitely a funky lineup, um, but, yeah. Listen, some, I mean, listen, some guys are are weird in position. I've maybe played too much 2K. I mean, to be uh, honest, P- Penny Hardaway is your point guard with this roster, I feel like. I feel like that's, it's pretty obvious. Is, point guard. But, like, I, I like Lamar Odom's distribution skills. I like Hugh Turkle's distribution. Like, yes, Penny is the point guard, but, like, nominally speaking, right? Like, he's, st- I want him, I don't know, I guess you're right. Maybe I overthought this one too much. Like, you get where I'm coming from, though, right? 
like yes, he's the point guard. I but appreciate I'm having... the approach. Like I yeah. get where you're coming. And and the, it's like again, any LeBron James team with the point guard where LeBron's really the point guard. Yeah, like again, you were coming at it from the perspective of you appreciated Penny's game most when he was working with other ball handlers, other kind of like playmakers. So like I get the desire to put him more into that role as opposed to just like the on-ball point guard end all be all. Um so yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. It's a different look. Thank you. I appreciate. It. Yeah, I, I appreciate the explanation. It's definitely a different look. Um this is one of my more bolder um lineups for sure. Um but ultimately, I thought defensively is just enough. Shooting-wise, just enough. We definitely took a downgrade from shooting, I would say. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. shoots the ball better, I would imagine, than Horace Grant does, at least from three. Uh, mid-range, I don't really know. I'd probably go Horace there. He do Turk, who I love as a shooter. And I think in the right role, in the right context, he'll be a really good connector um, between all of these players here. And a guy who could also play point. And then Lamar Odom as well. The, only, the thing basically I wanted was, like, anyone on this five could start the break. All of them could hold up decently enough defensively, if not be very good defensively. Um, and then I think there's just enough diversification of their skill set to make for an interesting offense with some different flowing pieces there. See, so, yeah, I guess where like when I think about positions, I'm mostly thinking defense, which is why I feel like Penny Hardaway has to be your point guard when you think about all the defensive side of the ball. You don't um, think early career Lamar could stick point? I think he could swallow up, folks. I mean, at least like 2006, 2007, no? I don't. I don't think so. I watched a lot of Lamar with the Lakers. I'm just saying, back in the day, we're not even talking like championship Lakers. Like as he got older, things got different for sure. He wasn't like a great defender in terms of like lockdown guy, but he wasn't bad. I mean, I'm not. I'm more saying like, what positions can he guard? Like, I think he was more like a two through four or two through five positional defender as opposed to like someone that ever was really guarding actual point guards. Um, I see what you're saying, but. yeah, I uh, I mean, obviously, yeah, you've got a ton of size there. You'll probably overwhelm a lot of people with, with size, and obviously there's shot blocking there as well. Um, yeah, I think there's a decent amount of passing in that group uh, with, with Hito and, and Lamar. Um, but, yeah, that would be the, the one concern I would have is it seems to me that, like, if the opposition had a, a, had a star guard, like, you pretty much have to put Penny on them. That's fair. That's fair. Totally. All right. Well, I mean, this was interesting. Um, I guess one more time. Let's, especially since I got to get my my whole <laughs> position sorted out. Let's run through before we move on to our final team here. Um, who we have as our five, our revamped starting five, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I have Penny Hardaway, Alex Caruso, uh. I'll say OG on a newbie at the three. Uh, Robert Covington at the four. Shaq at the five. We're going to tucker you out. <laughs> I had uh, Penny Hardaway at point. Desmond Bain at, Desmond Bain at shooting guard. Trey Murphy the third at small forward. Maintaining Horace Grant at power forward for this team. And Shaquille O'Neal at center. And then, of course, I had um, Penny Hardaway at the one slash two slash one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lamar Odom, somewhere in there. Um, Hidu Turkoglu, Jaron Jackson Jr., and, of course, Shaquille O'Neal. Right. 
last but not least, I think we got to throw it back over to Josh because this team does hold a soft spot in his heart. Um, I have been to a game with the Nuggets and the Thunder, and my friend comes with some supersonics memorabilia. Um, so, Josh, please uh, detail the final team for us, and this is the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Seattle Supersonics. Yes. Um, so long before Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were blowing everybody's minds with all these like uh, highlight reel dunks and Lob City and stuff, Lob City started in Seattle. And honestly, Lob City probably started b- before Peyton and Kemp, too. Also in Seattle, thanks to Tom Chambers. But um, we'll focus on Kemp and Peyton right now. Um, like, that team was so strong defensively and so embracing of, like... I don't know how you want to say it. Swag, pizzazz, style, panache. Like, when they dunked on you, they didn't just dunk on you. Like, Kim pointed at you. <laughs> or, or, like, you know, like, Gary wouldn't just toss, like, an alley-oop. Uh, he'd, like, save a ball going out of bounds through his legs to <laughs> a trailer. Um, like, they were just one of the best shows on – the hardwood at the time and they get overlooked a lot in for a couple of reasons. One, they played during the MJ Scottie Pippen bulls era, which kind of overshadowed everybody. Um, and two, they were up in the Pacific Northwest and for the, a long, long, long time, a lot of West coast teams, not named the Lakers got very little attention from the media overall because West Coast games start later on the East Coast. <laughs> um, but, like, this this team was so much fun. Um, one of the best transition teams I've ever had the, the privilege of watching. Um, Gary Payton, of course, is, like, one of the people you immediately think of when you think of an elite point-of-attack defender. Um, uh, also, like... Again, an elite transition player, like one of the best pushers in transition I've seen and a very good post up score uh, for for a guard. Um, Not much of a spacer, not much of a shooter. He had his moments, but like you're not really scared of Gary hitting threes necessarily. And then Sean Kemp is one of, if not maybe the GOAT vertical spacer lob threat. I think he probably is the goat. Um, Blake obviously has, has uh, some sway there. Um, I still think overall Vince is a, a, is a better dunker, but uh, Kemp, like you can't ask for a better vertical threat and a more threatening vertical threat. Um, Also really strong defensive rebounder. Good defensive event generator guy. Got a lot of steals. Got a lot of blocks. Um, Also, like Peyton, not really much of a shooter. Um, And maybe nowadays, if he came out, you'd probably actually play him a fair amount of minutes at the five. But he still kind of struggled a little bit against 
like particularly large bigs. Um, but yeah, those those two were just entertainment incarnate. Yeah, and you know, I think another thing to mention about this group, you know, again, all of these duos or trios that we're talking about weren't able to to win at all. And for this team, it was a lot of just heartbreaking playoff defeats. It was a lot of seven-game series losses. I think in 93, it was to the Suns, where Charles Barkley had just an incredible game five in that series. Uh, of course, in uh, 97, it was to the, the Houston Rockets with, um, you know, Hakeem and Barkley and, and Drexler. Uh, so yeah, they had, they had a lot. Oh, and they also had the, uh, the, the famous first round defeat where they lost to, uh, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, as the eighth seed and Dikembe though, like at the peak of his powers an absolutely dominant defensive force. So, uh, yeah, they had a lot of really uh, heartbreaking defeats over this run, but they were constantly there. They were constantly winning high fifties games in the regular season. Um, and, and constantly putting in pretty good playoff performances just came up a little bit short. But, uh, yeah, as Josh said, really, really fun team to watch. And I think, like, for all of the talk about Gary Payton being the glove and, you know, won the 96 Defensive Player of the Year, he was a really underrated offensive player. He was a heck of an offensive basketball player. Um, and, yeah, they, uh, they shuffled around, I think, the earlier teams when – you know, in 93, had a little bit more depth and some veteran presence. Uh, and then 96, it was a little bit more focused on on Peyton and Kemp. But uh, they maintained a pretty pretty solid competitive basketball teams throughout that middle portion of the of the 90s. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like you said, they were a consistent contender throughout all that time. Um, and yeah, I mean, they were even good even after, I mean, for what, two years, even after trading Sean Kemp, they made it work with Vin Baker, right? Like similar-ish type player. Um, it was the first time in the playoffs. I mean, similar-ish in terms of nowhere near the vertical guy of of a camp, but like some serviceable. He played the four, he did it decently. There you go. Yeah. Let me thank you for letting me kind of walk that back a little bit. Um, but yeah, like they kind of had him in the fold and they did well. I mean, they ran it up until I want to say what 2000, 2001. Um, and then you know, kind of things fell apart. But yeah, 96 was really the the big turning point. And a shout out to George Carl for uh you know, hiding your best defender um, on the greatest offensive player that wasn't LeBron James. Just kidding. But like, just in general, like, I, I, I get, like, I think that it was one of those things where, yeah, that's why I made it. Josh point out Steph Curry's the greatest. It was a horrible joke, horrible joke. Okay, but point being, um, yeah, I think that I don't know. I, I definitely understand um, Guy Payne maybe not being totally healthy, and obviously McMillan being out and all the things, but like, or McMillan being hampered. Bottom line, like you're you're only going for the championship, like you only get one shot at it. As it turned out, that was the only shot for Seattle. Um, I mean, Gary Payne had to wait another literally 10 years until he won a championship with Miami. Um, and some guys, you know, Nate McMillan, the great Hersey Hawkins, um, the great Sam Perkins, Sean Kemp, like that was their one and only shot. They did not get another. So, like, you know, I think in that case, if you're gonna Adele of Shrimp, thank you. Yep, like. I thought that no, he went to Portland. No, he didn't win. Yeah. But bottom line, yeah, like like these greats, like you if you can play and you're healthy, I mean you gotta do what you gotta do. And when you know you put Gary Payton on um Jordan, which they did after game three. I think it was after game three they did it. Right, when they were already down 
exactly three, three to nothing. Yeah, <laughs> three to zero. In the then series. you can see the actual impact. Exactly. I get. Then you can see the actual impact that you know. You Gary Payton had on Jordan, so we'll never know. But it is one of the best what ifs, and uh, those will probably remember of watching the last dance and seeing Jordan's reaction to Gary Payton saying that is classic Jordan. But in my mind, like the numbers bear out that it was the problem. But yeah, with that being said, um, Garrett, I, I let or, or Josh, it's Seattle, Josh, start Garrett, and then we'll end myself on um. Or mix it up, me and Garrett on Seattle. Who did you look for? How did you complement this team? How did you build this into the team that would have won the '96 NBA Finals? Again, I think you want to maintain that defensive edge they had, and much like Run TMC, this team was most dangerous in transition and pushing hard. So I wanted complementary players who help accelerate the pace. So again, guys who. Generate steals, blocks, rebounds, um, dangerous shooters who, when we are in the half court, the help defense can't really play too much towards the the Peyton Kemp pick and rolls and stuff. Um, so I thought about three types that I wanted, um, like a, a wing who can generate those transition opportunities and space the floor, uh, a swing forward who can kind of, again, generate transition looks rebound space um and and also like a big who can defend bigger players so that kemp doesn't have to while spacing on offense um rebounding well and and again generating stocks um so uh, i was looking at swing forwards and i was thinking again of guys i mentioned already robert ori robert covington but i actually decided to go with two um players under one of the other types I was looking at, which was the wings who can generate those transition opportunities and space in the half court while being good defensively. So I had previously mentioned Caruso. I had previously mentioned Mikhail Bridges. Um, and uh, I'm again, I'm bringing back up Lonzo Ball. Uh, this is a team that we want to push in transition really hard. So I, I wanted Lonzo Ball in that backcourt with Gary Payton, an excellent connector in the half court, um, can space very well for them, adds another strong defender, um, and again, he's going to juice that transition. But I also wanted Mikhail Bridges over somebody like Covington or Ori because I think this is a team where you do want that third score. You do want that that person who, when the ball swings from the strong side to the weak side and, and the defense is kind of shifted because of the Kemp Payton actions, that this guy can make something out of it, attack out of it. Um, and so I, I wanted Lonzo Ball and Mikhail next to Gary on the perimeter. And then for a big, I was thinking of guys like Serge Ibaka, like, you know, a, a shot blocker. Uh, solid rebounder, three-point shooter. Thinking of my guy, Rafe LaFrance, who was ahead of his time in terms of shot blocking, three-point shooting. But ultimately, I had to go with somebody who I adore, which is Naz Reed. Um, again, talking about this this uh, Sonics team had a lot of swag, pizzazz, panache, style. Naz Reed is going to fit in so well uh, with that. Um, and I just really like the idea of Gary Payton, Lonzo Ball, Mikhail Bridges, Sean Kemp, and Naz Reed 
really ratcheting up the the tension and, and the pressure on uh, opponents defensively and then just running like crazy. Um, so those are the guys I went with. Yeah, I like that mm-hmm. a lot. I, um, I, I kind of went with a different approach. Um, and my thought was more like, let's make this team somewhat like the seven second or less Phoenix Suns. And uh, so what I went with was I actually am going to just put Sean Kemp at center like the Suns did with Amari Stoudemire in 07. Okay. Uh, and, and really open up the lane for these pick and rolls. And so at power forward, I'm going with a guy I know Josh is a big fan of, Lowry Markinen. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that can space the floor. He also has that uh, off-ball shot creation as well, can curl off screens, make some plays. He provides some level of rim protection, even though we're not going with a traditional center here. Um, and then I, uh, I went with the Jet, Jason Terry. I thought, you know, let's let Gary Payton fully be the defensive player of the year. Let's let him have use a lot of his energy on the defensive end, provide some more shot creation on the ball, off the ball. Jet can do both. Um, and, uh, you know, we can stick him on the weaker opposition backcourt player, right? And then the final guy I have, I wanted a guy with some size, some strength, can, can do a little bit of everything. I'm going with uh, uh, J-Dub, Jalen Williams of the Oklahoma City Thunder as a guy that, uh, you know, I think Gary Payton and and Jason Terry, neither of those guys, I mean, they obviously have pick and roll craft, but neither of them are like getting all the way to the rim pretty consistently. So I like where Jalen Williams with his size and strength really puts pressure on the basket uh, and, you know, um, I'm just going all offense with this group and relying on, you know, really the strength of Gary Payton as a defender to make us decent enough on defense that like with the way we're scoring, there's not going to be anybody that can keep up. I like that. I think that's a solid one. Um, Solid team for sure. Um, I want to say I went in a different direction, but don't know if I really did. So I kept Kemp at the four. I kept Gary Payton, of course. Um, I had a few different areas I wanted to go with for my shooting guard position. Um, I strongly considered, and up until the last minute, and I still might go back to it, um, I really wanted Austin Reeves. I thought that Austin Reeves was a guy who is solid, is, um, you know, is it can play shooting guard, point guard, kind of run the offense, that sort of thing. But I feel like that's a great question. Um, ultimately, I felt like um, who is him from um, Max Kellerman in um, in first take, you know, back in the day. If there's one shot to change the balance of the universe, who's taking that shot? Not Steph Curry, not LeBron, not Andre Godala. I want Monte Ellis. So I have him at my two. If he's eligible, this is pending right now. I It was a motion decision, and I just threw him out there. We got to look back. Oh, he was never an all-star, um, and he should have been in 2010. Um, I will stand on that, look at the numbers, and then don't come at me. 
um because i don't really want to argue i just want you to look at the numbers um with that being said um else of the two i have og and anobi at the three and then i took um since i did no i did use him already i did use him already okay one second i'm gonna make a note you know what it is i'll switch it up gonna put um kemp back at the five i'm gonna put kemp at the five and put xavier mcdaniels xavier mcdaniel at the four so it's a little bit of a funky lineup i was going to just stick with sam perkins who i thought was a good fit with those sonics teams and i was just ain't broke don't fix it but i made my own little rule that i'm not using the same guy twice on a show because then i can just spam that person um and i use sam perkins already with the clyde drexler terry porter team it's my own rule i put on myself but because of that the guy I had as an honorable mention is Xavier McDaniel, the X-Men. Um, he's solid, strong, you know, really good athlete, decent defender. You know, looked like a better defender than he actually was, but he was a decent defender. Um, offensively, was pretty good. He was a supersonic. Um, started his career in Seattle. Um, and so I like him at the four. Um, my honorable mention would have been Austin Reeves and Tony Kukoc. But yeah, we are that that team is a nasty team. I think if it's the ethos of that era, Supersonics team, like they were just kind of a nasty group. They flew, they did well, but they they had some bite to them. They had some bark, um, and now we got some bite too. There would be even more barking <laughs> with your Listen. team. I think I think like that team that you constructed would be very good, and also maybe the most shit talking team in NBA history. <laughs> <laughs> At least the most shit-talking lineup in NBA history. Yeah, if there's there just go. like a, you know, if you can rank teams just purely based on players' confidence levels, your team is at an all-time high. Oh, the Irrational Confidence team. I mean, you know how I am about that, too. So, like, yes, give it to me. But, yeah, I'm very, very excited with that team. Um, I think, honestly, like, self-evaluation might be a little light on shooting. Um, You know, Kemp in the five works well for him offensively um just you know pick and roll game and rebounding everything and he had a good mid-range jump shot i think people kind of sleep on that that mid-range was reliable and even when he got a little um let's just say out of his athletic prime um a little bigger in cleveland and in portland and orlando that jumper was probably the only thing that really traveled and travel it did i mean it was he was a really solid player from there with that shot and so i like him at the five there but he definitely didn't he definitely i could not speak there he definitely didn't really stretch it out to three he would take some here and there uh, but that wasn't really his game. I watched some more games, and like he, when it was open, he would take it. He just wouldn't really make it. The form looked good, just outside of his range. Um, and so by doing that, Xavier McDaniel, sort of similar. Another guy, more 18 feet and in. Didn't really stretch it super well. He, again, took some threes as well. Um, just didn't make a whole lot of them. And I, I feel like that's kind of the ethos here uh, with Monte Ellis. Um, love him. I think he's a guy who can play on and off ball. Um, you know, in his prime was a decent three-point shooter. But, like, decent being, like, 34%. Wasn't that great of a three-point shooter. Definitely more of a mid-range guy. And then we already know Gary Payton, right? Um, OJ Anobi's probably the one guy who shoots above league average on threes. And, like, offensively, I want his job to really just be, you know, a glorified P.J. Tucker. Like, assigned to the best perimeter guys, knowing that he can make a shot, knowing that he can maybe flash a little bit more offensively. Um, but, yeah, I would say offensively, ironically, this team is actually um, – kind of weak for my taste from an offensive perspective. But I do like the total fit with, like I said, the ethos of what I was trying to go with and the fact that there is some versatility um, between these guys and that they hold up relatively well defensively. Relatively well. 
but yeah, so should, we, should we go through and uh, say our teams again? I think we should. Let's start start off, Garrett. All right. So at point guard, I have Gary Payton. At shooting guard, I've got Jason Terry. But of course, if you know, if I need uh, GP to guard the shooting guard, we can we can obviously flip that. At uh, at small forward, I've got J Dub, Jalen Williams. At power forward, Lowry Markinen, and at center, Sean Kemp. I've got Gary Payton, Lonzo Ball, Mikhail Bridges, Sean Kemp, and Naz Reed as my Seattle Supersonics. I like it. And I have Gary Payton, the legend, the great Monte Ellis, OG Anobi, Xavier McDaniel, and at the five, Sean Kemp. But yeah, this closes out the first part of our 1990s NBA Hold'em series. Um, real quick, rapid fire as we leave, what was what do you think? Well, let me get to Garrett first. Here. Well, I was just going to mention uh, just as a little uh, preview for people for what part two will entail. We've already got the team selected, so should I just mention them right now? Oh, drop it like this. Well, real quick, before we even do that, because I do want to leave them at the very end something to to look forward to. So I, I want that. But before we even do that, I wanted to ask y'all, um, what was your best uh, of all the teams we did so far? Like what was your personal best team reconstruction that you enjoyed here? Um, and it could be your own. I mean, and it probably preferably you can nominate someone else, but preferably your own. Like what was the best one that you look back at? Like, you know what? I would like to see that team. Like that would be a fun one to mess around with. Of the four teams that we did. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say my favorite of my own, and like I didn't write your guys's down. Otherwise, I oh, would no. mention one of yours. No, but, nominate your own, uh, please. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Uh, as far as um, as far as mine, I think my favorite was that run TMC team where I had Evan Mobley and Brooke Lopez as the as the complementary pieces. I think that makes it so that that team has a pretty good balance on both ends of the floor while maintaining a pretty pretty elite offense with with uh, tons of shooting and you know, playmaking all over the floor, but then, yeah, opens up transition opportunities. And, yeah, the only real way you can have, like, an average or even slightly above average defense with multiple weak links is just having lots of rim protection, and that's what I got there. So I like that one out of my own. I agree. I mean, I I, I would really love to play, like, 2K, even though I've sworn off of it. Mm-hmm. But I'd really love to play <laughs> my Sonics team in 2K. I feel like that would be so fun. Um, but I, I think, like, not just in terms of team construction stuff, but I, I, I think, like, certain choices I really liked. I really liked uh, you had Desmond Bain for Shaq and Penny, Garrett. Like, I really yeah. liked that. Um, I liked having additional, like, pick and roll ball handlers to go with Penny that Corbin came up with, even if I don't necessarily buy Lamar as a one. Um, <laughs> and then I, I also really like the idea of the finisher, Larry marketing with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, like a taller deadlift shrimp, basically a taller, more like aggressive athletic deadlift shrimp. Yeah, that was solid. Um, I definitely thought we all had some fun with these and just enjoyed them. I, I liked, uh, Josh's look at the supersonics, Thought that was really, 
kind of unique. Um, really, though, my favorite from Josh was probably the magic and just the the philosophy of tiring them out. Um, Garrett, I loved you leaning all offense. Um, it's not a thing that you know I usually see from my friend here, so I appreciate that for what it is, Garrett. Thank you for that. Um, and then for myself, yeah, I I kind of like my Blazers team. Um, again, if I was playing NBA 2K or anything that I could kind of work with, like, yeah, I would love it because I would love to see how I would fit. Like, in theory, the offense works great and the defense is passable. And I think if you look at the numbers and the player is fine, but, you know, there's always some difference between that and actual schematics and how that would work. So I would love to see that. But between the spacing and the wide open offense that I would try to utilize would be great. Um, then honorable mention, I really thought we all did a good job with run TMC and the different ways that we attempted to address that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess now I am chomping at the bit, Garrett, for you to uh, give the folks a teaser of what to look forward to the next time we get back on this series. Yeah, so our thought was when we had already done the 1998 Indiana Pacers in a previous episode where we did Reggie Miller and Rick Smiths. And so we did four more uh, four more in this episode, so we have four more to go to cover basically every year of the 1990s. So a part two will include the 1992 Cleveland Cavaliers, and the duo is Mark Price and Brad Doherty. Then we've got the 1993 Phoenix Suns, who made the NBA Finals, of course, and lost to the Bulls in in six games that year. And the duo we're doing for them, Kevin Johnson and Charles Barkley. And then in 1994, a team that came just one win away from the NBA championship, the 1994 New York Knicks, and the duo we selected for that, Patrick Ewing and John Starks. And then uh, we also have the 1997 Detroit Pistons with with Grant Hill and, and Joe Dumars. And I also I made a mistake out the gate. We we actually will have five more in this last uh, in part two, um, and uh, the final one is the 1999 Toronto Raptors, where we get to reimagine a Raptors team around a duo that really never got to be fully utilized in the likes of Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady. I'm very excited already. Just hearing you say, I'm like, all right, let's go. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way that this kind of organically formed. And now we've gotten a mix coming up here of some young teams that never quite took off the ground over time with the Raptors or some lesser known teams in the late nineties, like the Pistons and some other teams more well-known like the Suns and some teams that we really don't talk about enough, like the 92 Cleveland Cavaliers. So definitely excited for a nice mix there. Um, and that'll be a fun one to get going on. So Definitely something to get y'all to look forward to. But real quick, uh, Josh, Garrett, please, before we let y'all go, plug where you can find yourselves or where you can find other people, uh, whatever you'd like to share uh, for the good folks to check out. Well, I'm a full-time stay-at-home dad, so I I, I don't do a whole lot on Twitter uh, right now. I'm also trying to detox from Twitter. <laughs> um yeah, I love how you said Twitter with so much disdain there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing you'll hear whenever I say the name Clay. Um, both because Clay Bennett uh, stole the Seattle Supersonics. Um, and because uh, some guy named Clay just got divorced from one of my wife's bridesmaids, who's super cool. 
And so, like, Clay can just suck it right now, um, particularly Clay Bennett, but but this other Clay, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do um, mentor uh, people who want to work in basketball uh, or who want to take the next step, get to the next level in their career in the industry. Uh, and if that's something that's interesting to you, you can reach me uh, via email at josh at myhoopscareer.com. Set up a call, uh, figure out a way to help get you immediate next steps that you can start moving yourself towards that dream job in basketball. Um, other than that, I always suggest you follow my guys here, Corbin, Garrett. They do amazing stuff. I know Garrett uh, just recently dropped uh, his end-of-the-year music stuff. He's got more stuff coming, um, movies, TV, other stuff. All of it is well worth your time. Um, also check out Swish Theory and all the fantastic people uh, working there. Um, and uh, beyond that, just always search out good actionable, helpful basketball analysis, because not all of it is. There you yeah, go. Uh, you, can, you can find me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. And as Josh mentioned, I just recently put out uh, my 2023 year in music list on my blog. And uh, you can find that as the pinned tweet on my uh, Twitter profile. Uh, but essentially, I, I went through and created uh, multiple different playlists. One is uh, about uh, two hours long, and another one, if you're if you're really so inclined, if you really love music, is 14 hours of just 2023 songs. I know uh, Josh and his daughter Zoe have been uh, have been listening to it a little bit, um, and I also created uh, a list of 52 of uh, my favorite albums that I heard throughout the year and separated them in different categories, listed my favorite songs and uh, on each. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for some new tunes, there's a, a great, uh, great place for, uh, for some recommendations there. And as Josh also mentioned, I've got movies and TV coming. I think movies actually will be up second this year. I, uh, I'm at 77 movies watched for 2023. I think once I hit wow. 80, I'm going to write write up the piece. And so that should be coming hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, TV's at, TV after that. But uh, yeah, you can also check out my uh, podcast, Duncan Dynasty, D-U-N-K-I-N-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. Uh, these two guys have been on there. And uh, yeah, I, I uh, used to have it out, uh, an episode out every week. Now it's just kind of whenever I feel like it. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, subscribe to that and it'll go into your feed whenever the next episode comes out. But yeah, thanks. I'm excited for that. Uh, as Josh pointed out in the chat, um, yeah, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Godzilla Minus One because I did miss that conversation you had about it, and that was such a good movie for me. I, I, I can't wait to read the piece. Bottom line. Um, about myself, you can follow me on Twitter if you're so inclined, at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Check out um, Basketball Intelligence. It's a newsletter that I, um, I help with. Uh, we curate the best stories of the day. And we get them all together for you in your inbox to check out. Um, in fact, I am about to get started on the one dropping tomorrow. So definitely make sure to check that out. Um, Basketball Intelligence, just Google that. I mean, it's a really good resource. I'm saying it not only because, yes, I worked there, but like even before working there, like it was something that was really cool to be a part of. And now seeing more of the work that goes behind the scenes, I have a greater appreciation for 
what we try to do to get you caught up with all of the great basketball analysis um, that you need with none of the fluff, or at least very little of it in my case. Um, aside from that, I would encourage you to please check out Josh's um, My Hoop Career. Check out Garrett's amazing content. Check out Sports Ethos because where Round Ball Ramble is, Sports Ethos on Twitter, all one word sportsethos.com and then last but certainly not least check out the fine folks of swish theory at swish theory on twitter all one word swish theory.com where you'll find this podcast and so much more in terms of draft content team building concepts um and content there player profile pieces on players that you don't normally think of um all kinds of great work there so definitely make sure to check that out but that'll do it another monster episode for the big unholy three here on the Roster Construction Podcast. We'll be back real, real soon. But until next time, for Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty. I'll be back here in a minute. All right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. And I've got the uh, the big three here for uh, another episode of NBA Hold'em 1990s edition Josh Earl and Corbin Ford in the house. Uh, we'll start with Corbin. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Happy to be hanging out with my basketball brothers, talking ball. Um, going back into the 90s. So I'm doing great. Yeah. And for those uh, that are uh, listening, Corbin just showed off. He just got a new uh, little water bottle there type thing that uh, has all of the 90s uh, NBA teams and their logos. Really cool stuff. Uh, Josh. Josh Earl, how you doing, my friend? Doing well. Also excited for more 90s stuff. I'm a big fan of the 90s. Uh, I don't have a water bottle themed 90s style to drink out of, but, you know, hydrate or dehydrate. Keep drinking, everybody. Want everybody to avoid kidney stones and to have good health. So stay hydrated, everybody. This is a PSA and a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Josh has a a poster there of Tim Duncan, who did uh, win an NBA championship during the 90s uh, in the background Mm -hmm. there. I should also mention uh, this is this episode is also going to be on uh, roster reconstruction, uh, a great uh, new podcast that uh, we've done a lot of uh, really good content on recently. And, uh, you know, so this uh, this simulcast, as you will, will be uh, touching on. NBA Hold'em, which was a concept I came up with that I thought would be a fun way to break down, um, you know, some of our team building philosophies and talk about players from different eras. And uh, yeah, so the the basic premise is it's it's similar to uh, Texas Hold'em poker, where you get like a flop, the turn in the river, those five cards that are face up at the middle of the table. And those are the cards that you share in the game. So we're going to have certain players, duos, famous duos that we're all sharing. And then also as uh, like the card game, you get a couple of cards face down and uh, those are just your cards. So the three of us picked some role players to surround the star players separately. We don't know uh, what uh, each of us selected. So that's going to be a big part of the conversation here, finding out, uh, you know, what different types of role players that we picked and uh, break down why we think those are good fits with the uh, with the stars of the 90s, uh, the star duos of the 90s. So uh, the only criteria that we focus on in terms of the uh, the role players that we select from, they uh, they 
can only have made one all-star team or less. So if they made two or more, they're ineligible. If they made all NBA, that player is ineligible. So everybody else in the history of the NBA, present and in the past, um, are, are eligible for us to select from. And uh, so previously, I'll mention some of the uh, the previous years and duos and trios that we've done before this episode. So last time we did the 1990 Portland Trailblazers with uh, Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler. We also did the 1991 Run TMC Golden State Warriors with Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, and Chris Mullen. We did the 1995 Orlando Magic with Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. The 1996 Seattle Supersonics with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. So in this episode, we're going to cover the 1992 Cleveland Cavaliers, the 1993 Phoenix Suns, the 1994 New York Knicks, the 1997 Detroit Pistons, and the 1999 Toronto Raptors. So uh, guys, let's uh, let's kind of go in uh, in order here. So let's start at the earliest in the 1992 Cleveland Cavaliers, the duo that we agreed upon for this team, and I believe this was the duo in the NBA Jam game, is uh, Mark Price and Brad Doherty. So a classic point guard center duo. And uh, Josh, let's start with you. So uh, what uh, what group of role players did you decide to, to put around this, uh, this duo for Cleveland that uh, had some pretty good success in that late 80s early 90s time period, including making a, a conference finals in that 1992 season. Very good team. Um, yeah, I looked kind of at the team itself, and I, I, I think the areas where they maybe were missing a little were rebounding, both offensively and defensively. They were 25th in offensive rebound rate, 17th in defensive rebound rate. So I felt like they needed more rebounding. I think they needed a, a a greater third scoring option. I love Larry Nance, but I, I wouldn't really call him a major threat on you know a scouting report. Um, uh, and and I felt like they needed more spacing. Um, part of that was just in the '90s. You had you know a power forward, <laughs> and, and you had a small forward, and most of the time you had one other person outside of the point guard who could shoot and that that's what you worked with. So I don't really blame them at the time, but looking at it now, I'd want uh, a couple of different types to, to pair with them. So um, first I'd want uh, a rim protecting spacing and rebounding big to kind of uh, help Brad on the rebounding edge. Uh, also provide a secondary rim deterrent um, while also, you know, uh, spacing. So I was, I was thinking of, you know, somebody like uh, a Troy Murphy or a, a Terry Mills. We talked about Terry Mills, Miles Turner, those types. Um, but, but two names really came to me. Uh, one I, I think is disqualified because he's currently a rookie. Chet Holmgren, I think would be perfect for this uh, next to Doherty. Um, but, you know, he hasn't even completed a single NBA season yet. So I got to go with my man, Rafe LaFrance. 
240, 19% defensive rebound rate, uh, 36.3% from three on over four per 100 possessions, and a 4.6 block rate. So I think he can fit all three of those things that I'm looking for. Um, Next, I I want a big shooting guard who uh, is a good rebounder because I want rebounding across the board. (laughs) I want a, a good rebounding shooting guard who also is a good connective passer, isn't terrible on defense, and ideally can shoot. So, of course, immediately I thought of Josh Hart, um, who is a fantastic rebounder, but only a 34.8% three-point shooter. Um, So then I was thinking maybe somebody like Trey Murphy, um, who's also four inches taller than Josh Hart, not the rebounder he is, but a much better three-point shooter. And ultimately, I decided on a middle range um, with Mike Miller, who is the same height as Trey Murphy, 6'8", uh, 218 pounds. He had a 15.7% defensive rebound rate, shot over 40% from three on over seven per 100 possessions over his career. A good connective passer could be a really good um complimentary player to Mark Price, Brad Darty, and the next guy I'm going to talk about being able to step up when need be, but also being able to fill in as like the third or fourth option when necessary. And then speaking of the third option, again, rebounding was important to me, not terrible on defense was important to me and shot really well was, was huge. So again, I thought about like Trey Murphy I thought about Michael Porter Jr., who's 6'10", has a 20% defensive rebound rate for his career, has shot over 40% from three over 10 per 100 possessions so far his career. Um, but I wanted somebody a little more willing to pass and a little more dynamic, uh, in my opinion. So I went with a big uh, somebody I'm a big fan of, Lowry Markinen, who has a 21% diff defensive rebound rate has shot over 37% from three on over 10 per 100 possessions for his career. And I think if he plays the three, now you have seven foot Lowry marketing six eleven Rafe LaFrance and seven foot Brad Doherty plus a six, eight Mike Miller. Like, I think you boost the rebounding across the board. You also likely boost the defense. Um, and I think all three of those guys would fit in very well between Mark Price and Brad. Doherty. Yeah, I think that's all really fascinating. I I think um my my one concern with that construction is just like, you know, you're probably you've got to have LaFrance or Doherty guarding fours, which, you know, if the other team has a perimeter four, that's maybe a little bit uh they might be a little bit susceptible to getting beat on the perimeter. And same with like, you know, if you're playing either, you know, a Mike Miller at the two as well. But you 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 also brought up that like just your overall size and the fact that you've got three guys that can at least do some level of rim protection maybe mitigates that. So and and yeah, offensively it's uh you know having having size and rebounding, offensive rebounding and shooting. Uh yeah, you 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 covered a lot there. That's solid. That's solid. All right. Is it my turn to put yeah, up a Corbin, team? All right, here we go. So I went a different route. No, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> I was definitely thinking about this as an interesting construction. I looked at some Mike Price and Brad Doherty like film and was interested in how they played and like, okay, I want guys 
kind of play off of that. You know, more of um, I don't know. Like those are the two engines of the team, but guys who can also make plays in, in various capacities, whether it's high post passing, overall playmaking from the wing spot, or a guy who can just knock down shots. So I look for my shot maker first, and I end up going with um a shooter who had played a lot with Charles Barkley early in his career, and then end up going um to charlotte and 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 playing with them as well and i took hersey hawkins um guy who shot just under 40 percent from three for his career solid player not a whole lot in terms of additional distribution skills i mean he only averaged three assists per game um he did have a run in 90 i want to say it was 92 and 93 right after charles barkley left so 93 yeah 92 93 where he was like playing point card with jeff hornacek and that just didn't go well. But he is a guy who can knock down shots and make simple reads, right? Like, he has played point guard, even though he is squarely a shooting guard. So I have him there as somebody who's just a smart, heady player who can knock down a high percentage of outside shots. Then I look for a guy who could do some the same shot-making ability, the same shooting pretty efficiently from downtown and, and from the field, but could also bring a playmaking element as well. And some additional, you know, defensive. I wouldn't say he's a knock, lockdown defender, but a guy who can definitely defend his position. So I went with Gordon Hayward. Um, like him and just his fit there. I think he's a solid positional defender. I think he's somebody that brings some versatility offensively, could play alongside Brad in the pick and roll, can play off of Mark Price as well as the secondary initiator or someone who can even get them into their sets. Then third, one of the guy who isn't very good defensively but brings some much in the outside scoring, I think, for this team and also has some really good underrated um, playmaking from the big position, that was Kelly Olenek. Um, Liked what he brought. I could see some... Um, big to big passing between him and Brad. Um, I like his versatility in, in picking pops in horns action with Brad alongside Mark or off of playmaking from Gordon Hayward. And I think that these five just work really well together in different types of actions where they're not as versatile in scoring as I would like or or versatile in playing multiple positions, but they could do theirs really well. You know, whether it's Gordon playing the three and the four, Kelly playing the four and the five, Hersey playing the two and the three, and then Mark and Brad right there. And they can all kind of work alongside each other. And I think that that works really well. Actually, Hersey, the one or two, Hersey, six, three. Yeah, the three wasn't happening. for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that offensively. You know, Hayward uh, brings brings some, uh, you know, secondary scoring. And then Olenek obviously can shoot and pass. And and obviously Hawkins could really shoot it. Um my my main concern would be it's a it's a small backcourt with uh, with Price and Hawkins, and uh, also you know Doherty was not the strongest rim protector for a center, and Olenek is not very strong at that either. But uh, you know uh, that team would uh, would be tough to outscore because uh, there's there's not too many weak links on the offensive side of the basketball there. Very true, very true. <laughs> it's a note of weakness of mine. All right, so. Uh, We'll get to mine here. So I also was kind of thinking um, similarly to Josh minus the rebounding. I think I, I'll, I'll just say straight out of the jump that probably my weakness is rebounding. But uh, um, I uh, I did think that we needed another big that could protect the rim and do some of the things that Doherty just struggled with. Right. Doherty was more of an offensive center than really a defensive center. Um so I uh, I went with a guy who can space the floor and also provide some rim protection and also can br- provide some wing defense. I went with a guy in uh, Maxi Kleba. I think he provides a lot of the skills that, uh, you know, Mark Price and Doherty just don't bring to the table. So I think he's a good fit there. Um, 
Then, you know, I also agreed with Josh in terms of the fact that this team needs uh, needs plenty of shooting because Mark Price is going to be able to break down the defense and you need shooters around that. So I went with a guy that also brings some off-ball shot creation in Kyle Korver. Solid. I like that. Okay. And then finally, I went with a guy who actually, uh, this has been a theme with some of these episodes where if I feel like there was a there was a player that fits our criteria that actually was a really good fit on the original team. I might keep him. And so I'm keeping Ron Harper on this team. I think he's a perfect player like to juice the transition game for this group. I think the, you know, Mark Price, despite the fact that he can, you know, split the double team really well and get into the heart of the defense, like, you know, Ron Harper with his slashing style, I think just attacks the rim and puts pressure on the basket in a different way than uh, than Price did. So, uh, you know, having him there as well, and also a guy that I think you can throw on the opposition's, you know, elite guard and and let him defend and do some of that dirty work. Uh, so, yeah, that was that ended up being my, my combination. What do you guys think of that? I think it's solid construction. Definitely think that rebounding isn't, like you said, you already beat us to the punch there, so not a whole lot to pile. Yeah, man, you're totally right, but yeah, man, you're totally right. Um, but aside from that, I think it's really good. I like the ball move, off-ball movement of uh, Kyle Korver. Um, I think that works really well. Um, Ron Harper, like you said, beast in transition defensively. Defensively, I mean, defensively, I think Kleba and, and Harper are fine. Um, I think you do have relative weak points, other areas there. Um, I don't know. I, I, Carver, I mean, Carver's okay uh, at best. Um, Mark Price, same. And then I, I Brad Doherty, same. You know what I mean? So, like, that I would probably say is an issue. It's definitely more excuse to like my type of construction offensively there, but like the versatility that I do think is cool. And you do have off ball action you can do, and Max Kleber. Is incredibly versatile. I could see him playing off of Bradwell, see him playing off of Mike Price well. So yeah, it would be um interesting for sure. Uh the Lily puts there, but you would get some shots up and Mark um Mark Price and Ron Harper have some good connection. And I think I think that'd be a solid uh construction. Yeah, it'd be nice if the Cavs had never traded Ron in the first place. Yeah, Ooh, and I still to this day I think the uh the 89 Cavs are even better than that 92 Cavs team that ended up Despite the fact that the 92 team made the conference finals, that 89 team was uh, was something special. I uh, agree. And, and lost on the shot in excruciating fashion. It's like that. It's like the 98 Pacers team. Like they made or the 2000 Pacers team. My bad. Like they made it the farthest, but that was not their best team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The 98 group was uh, was was, was superior. All right, let's uh, let's move on now to uh, this one. I'm really excited about the 1993 Phoenix Suns. the uh, The duo that we all agreed upon is Kevin Johnson and the round mound of rebound himself, Charles Barkley. So a point guard and power forward combination. And I think it, this one's especially interesting because you know both of these guys were really kind of attack the basket type of players and so to figure out and also kind of um you know defensively a little bit weak in large part because uh chuck didn't have the lateral quickness and uh kevin johnson was also just a really tiny guard despite having incredible speed so uh corbin why don't we uh why don't we start with you this round and uh tell us who you decided to uh to pair with uh with the likes of that uh 1993 suns duo that made the finals 
Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay, so I made a bold choice. Um, not the biggest uh, Kevin Johnson fan. Um, just, just you know, in general, just not my type of person. Um, also not my type of point guard. So I just traded him off entirely, and I got a better character-setting player, a guy who can run an offense, a proven point guard. I got D'Angelo Russell. And, okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it. I got Josh's reaction. I got Gary laughing. Okay, let's be serious now. Josh is not... on mute, but I'm pretty sure he spit out his water on camera. <laughs> that was good. Pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> All right, let me be real. I, I'm not a Kevin Johnson fan, but I did stick to the rules of what NBA Hold'em is, and so we did keep him. So I was looking for players that fit alongside, like you said, you had two players who definitely were more, um, I thought about it. You had two players who were definitely more inside-oriented, right? Kevin Johnson loved to penetrate, was not a very good outside shooter. I mean, he was good up to like 16, 18 feet. Uh, um, anything beyond that was suspect. And then when the three-point line was moved in, like 96, 97, he was okay. And then once it went back down, he went back to his normal 21%. So, yes, no. And then Charles loved the three. The three ball did not love Charles. So that was the thing. So I tried to get guys who could provide the much-needed floor spacing that would work around those two while defensively either being at best able to stay in front of a person um, and then like, or at worst being able to stay in front of each uh, person at best being like looked at as a decent defender. Um, So the first person I looked at that also provides some playmaking and was really good in his early year. Well, I would say in Dallas, Houston and Dallas um, was Chandler Parsons. Like the size that was a decent enough defender then before the knee injuries really got to him. But even when Memphis got him, they looked at him like a good, Three and D guy with additional creation skills. I was working for uh, Grizzly Bear Blues at the time. Several articles were written about that. So, like, that is what he was kind of known for. A guy who could defend his position. Wasn't, like, a tremendous defender, but was definitely a serviceable one. Could knock down the three ball at a 40% clip and brought good enough playmaking out the pick and roll that you looked at him and thought, okay, hey, he's a decent, like, player, and he could be a star in the right system. He doesn't have to be a star here. He doesn't have to be Chandler Parsons. So, boom, that's one. The other guy, defensively, nah, not so much. But he is a champion. He's a very good three-point shooter. You don't leave him open. He's 6'10". That's Michael Porter Jr. Love the size there. Wanted to have somebody, again, a bigger lineup around Charles who was an undersized four, but it's fine because you do have a guy who has more size even if he doesn't play as big as Chuck did. But he's also someone who shoots three at a high level, spaced the floor tremendously, can get hot in a hurry. Lastly, I thought we need some rim protection because, again, like Chandler and Michael Porter Jr. are doing it. Charles is doing it. And Kevin's not doing it. Um, so I went with a guy who not only protects the rim, but shoots the ball at a high clip as well um, over the last seven years, uh, surprisingly so. And that's Brooke Lopez. Um, love what Brooke Lopez brings. Again, he's not really the best rebounder, but I got Charles Broccoli grabbing like 15 again. I'm not really concerned. Michael Porter and Chandler Parsons are tall enough they can walk into four, you know, and then Brooke will grab like five or six. So I think rebounding, they're fine. But Brooke Lopez is a great um, drop defender, uh, small. Art defender and somebody who will definitely protect the rim. Uh, and I think that's important because I think Chandler and Michael can hold their position. And Kevin Johnson was decent on certain guards, but he is smaller. And Chuck would give his best for a moment, great on weak side blocks. And after that, okay, I'm just going to outscore you. So I think having a guy like Brooke Lopez in the back line will be extremely helpful offensively, just spacing the floor, doing what he does. And I think that was the ideal construction that fit what I was looking for on a 1993 Phoenix Suns roster. Nice. I, I'm I'm just picturing Chandler Parsons and Chuck at the club 
trying to draw in a free agent in the next offseason and what shenanigans they might get up to. Oh, you know uh, they were going after. Oh, I like it from that perspective. Yeah, I like it from that perspective. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, I would say again, Corbin, another just incredibly dynamic offensive group. Like you've got, uh, you you provided a ton of spacing for, as we talked about, two guys that are really good and effective at getting to the rim. So if you're unable to help off of guys to to stop that, like it's gonna be gonna be difficult to defend. And uh, you know, again, my my only beef would be like, yeah, I I went with the same exact sort of mindset in terms of who I went with at center, getting getting rim protection next to next to Chuck. Um, my thought would just be, uh, you know, who's your guy that you're throwing on the opposition's best like perimeter player would be the the main concern I have. But outside of that, it's it's pretty good. I appreciate that. I have an answer. Um, just our collective hopes and dreams for a championship is what we'll be throwing at. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, Michael. No. It, hopes yeah, and dreams with the block. <laughs> <laughs> Cash considerations from behind with the weak side. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that's going to be a problem. I thought about that, and I'm glad you pointed out because you're right. Like it, team defense, I don't feel super bad about it. It's serviceable, but if we get like that one guy, like a John Morant, Anthony Edwards, like a guy with like blazing speed can get to the rim and like superior athleticism, a Jordan, <laughs> perhaps. Um, yeah, but we'll give him a, we'll give him a fight. You know, we're going around. We're going to go down to shooting, literally shootout. I yeah, I mean, say I, John Moran, I imagine but. Jordan would still average forty-one against your group, but you might be able to. Uh, yeah, you might still be able to outscore him. But, uh, Possibly. <laughs> all right, so I'll go next, and uh, my group. I, I mentioned that uh, my center was a pretty similar thought process. Get some floor spacing and also some rim protection, and I also think like the one weakness this guy has is. Uh, Covered by the fact that Charles Barkley was such an unbelievable rebounder, I went with Miles Turner. And then uh, next up, I uh, I went with a couple of guys that I thought will provide great perimeter defense and also can space the floor. Uh, I went with OG Ananobi. So we'll have a guy that we can actually throw on Michael Jordan. And, uh, you know, obviously isn't going to stop him, but can at least, like, make things difficult. And then, uh, you know, and and just kind of, you know, with Kevin Johnson, with Charles Barkley, they're going to take up a lot of the usage. You don't need a, t- uh, a bunch of guys that need the ball in their hands. And OG's pretty good being in the corner and just spotting up. And then the final guy, I know this is one of Josh's favorites. I needed, I needed more passing on this team because Charles is such a, you know, dominant post player that you need good entry passers. You need guys that can... Uh, boost that transition game, also spot up and space the floor and play defense. So the final guy I went with was Lonzo Ball. Solid. I, I consider Lonzo Ball. I like that. I think that would really help push the pace for uh, the Suns, and which would fit in very well with Chuck and KJ. Nice. Uh, 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 go ahead. No, no. I, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say uh, the only uh, thing... Uh, <laughs> don't do that <laughs> collective thoughts and prayers for the win oh yes no i was just gonna say the only thing i would think about is like are you sure you have enough like high volume shooting like all those guys can shoot but none of those guys are like guys like miles turner could certainly stand and take more threes right um lonzo ball you know until recently like i mean well 
we haven't seen him recently, but you know what I mean. Like over the last like active seasons, he was there. Was definitely getting up some more, but that wasn't like that was something that wasn't a thing for his whole career, right? That you want to see more of. And OJ Anobi is a guy we. I mean, we'll see what happens. We really want him to do more, and he's a very very solid shooter. Like statistically, all those guys are very efficient. But are they taking how many? Like three, four a game? You know what I mean? Like that is a thing I'm thinking. Um, that well, I, I can that tell can you definitely scale up though. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, Miles Turner takes four, a little over four per 100 possessions, and OG Anubi takes over seven per 100 possessions. So maybe so I take like, it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty sure Lonzo's uh, in between that. But well, yeah, did that, that to, to answer your to answer your concern, Corbin, like, yeah, I, 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 I did sacrifice a little bit of being like, you know, elite, elite offense to to, you know, to make sure that the defense is sound, because I feel like, you know, you hope that Kevin Johnson and Chuck alone can can boost your offense to a, a decent enough level that, you know, even if you don't have elite offensive options around them, you have just, you know, decent, competent offensive players that uh, you can still be one of the best offenses in the league while then having three really good defenders around those two to boost up the defense. And that's more than fair. No, totally. Other than that, I, I think it's a really good lineup. Um, Michael Jones would only get 35 on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Josh, you're, yep. you're last up here. I kind of threaded the needle between you two. Um I'll start off with a spacing rim protector because I think we all had that idea. Um, I had thought about Miles Turner, which is how I know he shot uh, four over four threes per 100 possessions. Um, uh, a couple other guys I was thinking about. Um, surprisingly, Brad Lojas, uh, 6'11", 230, shot 36% from three on over five per 100 possessions. Only a 3.1% block rate, but still pretty good. Um, I thought about Miles Turner too, but there was another guy who popped for me that I think just fits the vibe of those Phoenix Suns, and that's Naz Reed. Shorter than the other guys, only 6'9", but 35.7% from three, so a little better than Miles Turner from three on over seven per 100 possessions. And he's got a 4.2 block rate. So uh, on top of it, Naz is one of those guys who can attack a closeout, which is something that'll be very helpful when KJ or Charles kick it out um, when the defense collapses on them. Uh, I also wanted a big wing defender. Um, I thought about OG Ananubi. I thought about Shane Battier. The guy I, I ultimately settled on is a former Phoenix son, Mikhail Bridges. Um, he's, for his career, he shot 37% on six plus per 100 possessions. Another guy who can, you know, take that third or fourth spot in the offense fine and be hyper efficient. Or, you know, if you need to, he can step up and stretches. Um, and then the third piece, because KJ and Charles are going to have the ball in their hands a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> Uh, I wanted an off-ball shot creator. I wanted a third scorer who I can trust to have an impact, even playing next to Charles and Kevin Johnson, not necessarily need the the ball in his hands. And and I think this particular player will work really well with Charles too. And that's uh, well before I get to him, I was also thinking of like Michael Porter Jr., uh, maybe a Desmond Bain, but I settled on Duncan Robinson. 
uh, 40% on over 13 per 100 possessions. He's got that actual off-ball shot creation game. Um, picture trying to defend him and Chuck running dribble handoffs. Like, you can't give Chuck any room getting towards the basket. You can't leave Duncan open. And then if you really try to sell out and stop that action, they kick it to KJ, who's now got, you know, um, the ability to attack from the the weak side. So, um, yeah, I kind of tried to get good defense with, like, that that kind of balance between you two, like, between really strong defense and between really good offense. And I think having... Especially now that Duncan Robinson is doing this, having three guys who can attack closeouts and score efficiently off of them uh, next to Charles and KJ while boosting the size around them um, and and like the three ball shooting and all that stuff. I, I think those three would work really well with those guys. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's it feels like a yeah, just a slightly better offensive and slightly worse defensive thing to what I to, to what I did and as you said kind of right in between uh you know me and Corbin Corbin going uh going all offense this evening so far <laughs> all day baby <laughs> all right so next up is the 1994 New York Knicks and the duo we selected here was Patrick Ewing and John Starks And this team in 1994 made it to the NBA Finals, got one game from the NBA title, but ended up losing in seven to Hakeem and the Houston Rockets. So uh, I will go first this round. And uh, the, uh, the first thing I think that this team needs is some extra, you know, on ball shot creation. Um, you know, they were uh, those Knicks teams were excellent defensively, but kind of struggled at times on the offensive end. And, you know, obviously Patrick Ewing was an option as a post up player, but it's good to have, you know, a pick and roll partner as well as somebody that can create their own looks at times. So I went with a current New York Nick and I went with Jalen Brunson here. As uh, the guard to pair and also, you know, I wanted to keep it similar to. You know, those 90s Knicks teams that were tough, too. All the guys I picked were tough, um, you know, gritty-type players. So after Brunson, I went with a guy, uh, you know, I don't feel like too many people talk about this guy. I loved watching this guy play. Um, you know, he he was definitely like a score, slasher, really tough, physical guy. I mean, uh, talk about like elite physique. This guy uh, was ripped. I'm going with Corey Maggetti. Are you ready for Maggetti? <laughs> um, so a guy that, uh, you know, puts constant pressure on the rim, is really good, uh, you know, cutter, slasher, driver of the basketball. Um, so, uh, yeah, went with Maggetti there. And then my final guy, I wanted another guy that, uh, you know, can assist Ewing at the, you know, the rim protection. This guy does it more via taking charges as opposed to, um, you know, actually blocking shots. But uh, he also spaces the floor and, uh, you know, offensively doesn't uh, doesn't need the ball too much. I'm going with Ursan Ilyasova. 
So that's my three. I went with Jalen Brunson, Corey Maggette, and Ursan Ilyasova to pair with uh, with Ewing and Starks. I like it. I think that it's a little bit of a departure from the rugged, defensive-minded New York Knicks, um, whether because they just don't play that way or they're just the personnel. But definitely more of an – you juice up the offense a bit. Um, Patrick Ewing has work cut out for him. But, like, hey, I mean, he's only in the early 30s back then. I don't think he was that bad defensively, right? Um, and then John Starks, you can put on MJ again. Um, I I think it's I, I think it's a solid. I would say defensively, and it's ironic coming from myself. Defensively, I worry. Offensively, I love it. Um, but that that would be my one issue. Rebounding too. I think I think I think rebounding is a little bit of a thing. You're putting a lot of pressure on Ewing to come up with like I don't know 16, 17. Like Urson was a, was a fine player, right? Really solid pro, good shooter. I don't. I don't think of Ursan the rugged rebounder. You know what I mean. But I mean, I haven't even said my team yet. So I, other than that, I like. I like your squad. Yeah, I agree. Like you know, the the combination of Brunson and Maggette is not the strongest defensively, even though they're they're strong physically. Yeah, both of them. Oh. But uh, I do all think bodybuilder you know, team. Ilya Sova was a very, uh, I think, very underrated help defensive player. I think he was a guy that was really good at executing the scheme, getting in there, taking charges, getting his body in the way, and uh, you know. Um, he was not afraid to take a hit. So uh, I think he, him and Ewing as your front line there, uh, I, I, I don't think you could, uh, you're not, I don't think I'm doing too bad there. But yeah, I agree there. There are some challenges, especially if they were to deal with someone like Michael Jordan. But uh, I think everybody struggles with that to a certain extent. Urson, I think, is one of those underrated um, spacing rebounders, which which is kind of like a small niche archetype in its own sense but like one of those guys that was actually like pretty solid on the boards um and a spacer um i agree with corbin that like might leave the little <laughs> i mean mcgetty wasn't necessarily known for his defense <laughs> um and, and and so like and we all love jalen brunson he may be on my team too i don't know um <laughs> But uh, also, I don't think anybody's like really thinking Jalen Brunson's locking people down. So I, I, I do think there's some defensive elements, but I, I do think uh, that that team would be improved with those three. Yeah, and like to be to be completely honest, I, I do think I could have probably done or uh, picked someone that was a better fit than Maggette, but. I just, he was a guy I wanted to shout out and I really enjoyed watching him play. So I, I just threw him on there, but uh, yeah, um, let's see. And I love that. I think it's a good idea that we're able to celebrate these players in different ways and bring them back into the consciousness. So no knock on that. Love Maggetti, but I like the idea that you did that for that reason. Well, let's talk about Maggetti. Why not? I love yeah, it. great, uh, you know, great driver, really good free throw rate, got to the rim, you know, and again, with his strength, um, really tough to uh, to stop once he gets ahead head of steam. But uh, Josh, I think you're up next. Let's hear who you ended up picking to uh, to surround the likes of uh, of Ewing and Starks. Yeah, their big issue was offensively. Obviously, like they were really good defensively, not so good offensively, um, and and they really wanted to like grind 
opponents down and stuff. So I kind of wanted to keep that in mind and keep that theme in mind. Because uh, at first I was like, oh, man, boost up the pace. Do this. And like, nah, Pat Riley's not doing that. <laughs> and, uh, Patrick Ewing's not doing that. Um, so so work with what I got. Um, and, and first off, I wanted to keep that defensive mentality while adding some more three-point shooting, more spacing. Um, and so I also kind of went with guys that I think fit the aesthetic, not necessarily in terms of bodybuilding type, but in terms of like beefy, potentially like you, you could see them maybe doing something dirty. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I had a list of like six different Grayson options. Allen, let me guess. Like, Grayson Allen. No, for, for like, Big wing defenders, because, again, you need somebody who can guard a Scottie Pippen, who can guard an MJ, and at least make it difficult for them. So I was thinking of guys like we talked about Mikhail Bridges, uh, Shane Battier, uh, Tayshawn Prince, uh, Danny Green, Bobby Phils, uh, Raja Bell. Uh, ultimately, I decided to go with OG on Anubi, um, because he could defend power forwards as well uh as swinging up to twos and stuff and even defending some ones if need be and then the other guy i went with because he just feels that that riley era nick energy to me bruce bowen oh yeah bruce bowen will step under somebody (laughs) (laughs) bruce bowen isn't afraid to, uh, to throw a bow if need be um and I think with those two stationed in the corners, you have some more spacing. You have two really tenacious, strong, all defensive caliber, uh, like wing defenders who you can throw on a Scotty Pippen and an MJ. Um, and then on top of it, I think you need an efficient second option who can shift Starks to a third option on offense, where in theory, Starks would be more efficient. And so I think the second option also needs to be a a good playmaker. And so I, I was initially looking at players who had, uh, you know, shot well from three had a, a high assist rates um, and also scored pretty well on a per 100 possession basis. Um, and, and one of the guys that, that came up that I seriously considered strongly was Darius Garland. He's one of six players in NBA history with multiple seasons with, over 37.5% from three, a 30 plus uh, percent uh, assist rate, and scored over 30 points per 100 possessions. So it's like, that's that sounds pretty damn good. But ultimately, I had to go with Jalen Brunson, who's not far behind in some of those categories. And we already know that he thrives in New York and, and, and has that kind of vibe that I think would fit with those Knicks. So my three to pair with John Starks and Patrick Ewing are Jalen Brunson, Bruce Bowen, and OG Ananubi. Man, you were close to pulling off the just the current Knicks trio. Like, <laughs> I know. I was thinking about to it. Go with Josh Hart. <laughs> I was thinking Dante DiVincenzo, but, <laughs> but I wanted a little more size. Yeah. All right, Corbin, what do you got? All right, so I like. Those selections, I went a little different. Okay, I'm gonna stop saying that each time. But um, so I wanted defense, but you know me, I, I had to skew a little bit offensive minded. Um, and also wanted guys to fit that Knicks build. So the first one I wanted was a point guard who could shoot the ball pretty efficiently. Um, played solid defense. Um, 
would be a good fit for the team rough and tumble, you know, if need be. Uh, wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And then I was like, the Knicks had that point guard. I just took a younger version of him. So I got Derek Harper back. Derek Harper, I think, especially if I'm going to go pick a year, I want that vintage 1990 Derek Harper. But that'll be the Derek Harper. He shot a really good efficiency from three. He had taken an outsized role in the offense because uh, you had lost Mark Aguirre and it was him, Rolando Blackman, but it was really just him for that year for the most part. Um, so that's what I have as my point guard. Um, small forward, serviceable defensively, but a guy who can shoot the ball, doesn't need it, but can definitely make the most out of a closeout. Good opportunity. Plus, I love the chance in the arena when he hits a shot. I went with Keegan Murray, Murray, Keegan Murray, excuse me. Like him, things are solid enough, small forward, a good fit. I thought Brad Lowhouse, and he did play for the Knicks in the 90s. Oh, speaking of, I didn't tell you the personnel change I did. So it's 95, Patrick Ewing, John Starks. The very next year, um, coach Pat Riley was gone, and Don Nelson was in. That is the coach I have for this Knicks team. I'm a fan of that coach. So Don Nelson in, just wanted to make that. Lastly, I wanted a guy who would fit alongside Patrick Ewing and John Starks from the tenacity, crazy factor, if you, you will, that will get after it, that will knock somebody down, that will get some rebound, and that could hit a you know mid-range jump shot. This guy has the benefit of hitting some threes. This guy is a former Nick. He has the crazy eyes. His name is Bobby Portis. So I have him. So that is my team around Patrick Ewing and John Starks. Derek Harper, the one. John Starks, two. Keegan Murray, three. Bobby Portis, four. And tying it all together is Patrick Ewing. I'm just picturing coming down the lane and you see Pat super huge right near the rim. And you're like, Oh shit. And then you look just to Bobby, his left or his right. Elbow. And you see Bobby Portis's eyes just <laughs> bugging out at you. <laughs> and you're like, Oh God. Oh God. What do I do? What do I do? Exactly. Um, and I, I like, like Derek Harper's defense. I like it. The, re- the recipe for a 95 defensive rating right there. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely more defensive. My, like the only guy who I'm not, I mean, Bobby Portis individually, I think, is, is a solid team defender, right? I think he's a solid team defector, defender, can defend his position. Keegan Murray is solid. He's not like a lockdown guy, but he had some tough matchups against Golden State in the playoffs last year. He can definitely get it in the Mike Brown system. He's doing decently there. Um, and then Derek Harper, we already know who he is. So I don't think we're losing too much defensively uh, while still bringing a lot more on the offensive side, or at least the possibility of more on the offensive side. Yeah, and really good size there as well. Appreciate it. All right, so... We're through the 94 Knicks, and next up, we're because we already did the 95 Magic and 96 Sonics in the last episode, so uh, we are moving to the 1997 season, and our pick was the 1997 Detroit Pistons, and uh, the duo is Grant Hill, who I believe was a top three MVP uh, candidate in in that season. And then uh, also Joe Dumars, who made his final all-star team that year. So a uh, a little bit of a different combination than we've, uh, these last couple are going to be a little bit different combinations where we're not actually featuring a big man. This is a, a star shooting guard and a star small forward. So I'm excited to see how this goes. And I believe we're, uh, we're to Josh kicking us off here first with, uh, with who he selected to to pair with that uh, that piston duo. Yeah, uh what was interesting to me is that team was pretty solid across the board if you look at uh you know like the four factors offensive and defensive and stuff. They were pretty like uh, they didn't 
go far below like 15th in the league. Like they were average or better in almost every category. Um, and one that I kind of wanted to boost more was just rebounding and more spacing for those guys. Um, outside of Joe Dumars, I think they had just a couple other guys who had any sort of like threat from deep. Um, so I wanted to emphasize some spacing. I wanted to emphasize rebounding. Um, and at first I was thinking like, Oh, I want to push the pace. Cause they were kind of, they were like the one area they were really, uh, below average and was pace. But again, I think that was part of the plan and, and, and just how they, they went about things. Um, so I, I went away from that and, and I was thinking I want a defensive first complimentary point guard because you have your playmaker in Grant Hill. You have your secondary guy in Joe Dumars. You don't need another person coming in and, and racking up a high usage and, and trying to to run things. This isn't the Lakers getting Russell Westbrook. Like You don't need that. Hey, Corbin. Uh, <laughs> so I was wow. thinking of, you know, um, maybe somebody like a Javon Carter who get who doesn't kind of like your Maggette thing want to shout out got young guys like that. Javon Carter, thirty nine percent from three on over nine per one hundred possessions, a thirteen point eight assist rate, one point nine steal rate, one point five block rate, like pretty good defensive impact uh, point guard who can also hit threes. But then, you know, there's a better option right now who should get all-star consideration. I know JJ's been pushing for it for him. Uh, Derek White, uh, 6'4", 190, 36% from three on over seven per 100 possessions, a 20% assist rate, uh, 1.4% steal rate, and a 2.7% block rate. So I can add to uh, their rim protection. In, through the point guard position. Um, so I went with Derek White for that. I wanted two big rebounders up front with these guys, and ideally ones who can space to a degree, too. So I had to go with my guy Troy Murphy at the four, uh, 6'11, 245, a 24% defensive rebound rate, 38.8% from three on over four per 100 possessions, which when he played, it's actually pretty good. Not the greatest shot blocker, 1.1% block rate, but uh, between Derek White and uh, this other guy, I think we'll be fine. Um, and then I wanted somebody who combines some spacing, whether that be from the three or the mid-range, with some shot blocking and then just tenacious rebounding. And so I went with Jonas Valanciunas. 6'11", 265, 28.9% defensive rebound rate 36% from three basically only takes about a little over one per 100 possessions but on top of that he's a really good mid-range shooter so he does still have a spacing element even if he doesn't take a lot of threes Uh, and he's got a 3.3 block rate so um, not the sexiest trio to surround these three guys with Uh, none of these guys are really getting outside of Derek white right now. And let's be honest, he probably still won't get an all-star spot, but like these aren't guys you think of as all-stars necessarily, but I think would really complement what Grant Hill and Joe Dumars are doing um, and, and would uh, make things easier for them. 
really up the defensive rebounding quotient um, and, and provide a little more uh, rim protection to him. Yeah, when we get around to mine, I, I think we were pretty much on the exact same page, Josh. Maybe I, I just didn't prioritize shooting quite as much as you, but we were pretty much in line. But uh, we'll get to mine in a minute, Corbin. I think you're you're up next. All right, all right, all righty then. Well, going into a Grant Hill Joe Dumars team, uh, this is a little departure from the way I normally construct my teams. But I thought that, you know, Grant Hill is a good playmaker. Joe Dumars is a good playmaker. One to bring some additional playmaking, some additional defense. Um, so point guard position, he can play off ball, he can play on ball, great leader, great locker room guy, defensively solid, can shoot the open shot. Now, my favorite point guard, but he's, I love him as a person. I got one, Mike Conley. Um, so Mike Conley there, you know, despite being a little small, he is somebody who's been on very good defensive teams. Um, positionally, he's a good defender, knows where to be, is great at racking up steals, good defensive awareness and IQ. And I think that works perfectly alongside Joe Dumars, even a, a fading Joe Dumars. Um, then at the three slash four, Joe, Grant really playing to three. I want the guy who, you know, bigger guy, um, can get under opponent's skin, play good defense, knock down a three, good IQ and a good passer for his size. Um, I went with Joe Ingles. Um, like him, like his ability to kind of play alongside these guys and make the next pass and make the right read and give some much-needed force spacing along with Conley to a guy like Grant Hill. And then defensively, I wanted a rim protector, someone who's still kind of mobile. He'll probably jump at everything, but he'll still, you know, be active. Um, I went with Walker Kessler. I think he's a solid guy who, again, you know, your job is one thing and one thing only. Clean up the boards and get some blocks, and Walker Kessler can do both. Um, and I think you have just enough defense there between Conley, Dumars, Hill, and Ingles that it's like a a different version of those Donovan Mitchell Utah Jazz teams with two of the former teammates of Donovan Mitchell there. Um, things better spacing, and I think each person is also a better defender. Um, and Walker Kessler, yeah, you know, a go bear light, if you will. Um, but a guy whose role is a little more simplified as well. And, and then he has the better advantage of playing with better perimeter defenders around him than Gobert had in his Utah day. So that is my team around Grant Hill and Joe Dumas. Yeah, really like that, Corbin. That uh, I feel like has pretty good balance on both sides of the of the ball. And as you stated, I think Conley and Ingles are pretty good complements to to Hill and Dumars. And that you don't need like super high usage guys, but it would be good to have some guys that can do stuff on the ball if you need them to. But then also are very comfortable spotting up and shooting. Um, yeah, I, uh, and then yeah, having four guys that can all score. I think is a perfect formula then for someone like Walker Kessler who can just kind of do all of the dirty things outside of it. Yeah, I, I really like that. I really like the Mike Conley pick. Uh, and I think um, also so whenever Grant or Dumars are resting, that's when like Conley and Ingles can take on a little bit extra usage with those lineups and, and can still run a lot of pick and rolls, can still run a lot of actions um, and get good team offense out of that more so than like a D'Angelo Russell might. Um, I say this, everyone, because Corbin mentioned in the chat that he was contemplating D'Angelo Russell over Mike Conley <laughs> because he's got a thing. Uh, <laughs> I gotta get him off as a shooters, but no, at the end of the day, yeah. I went with the right team. I think he did. 
All right. So uh, my team, as I mentioned, I was kind of thinking in the same line as Josh, especially at the uh, at the point, getting a defensive minded guy. I wanted a, I wanted somebody that um, could both guard elite guards if like the opposition had two really good guards you could throw Dubars Ed Crusoe on there but also if the team had a pretty good wing player like a guy that can uh can guard one through three I went with Alex Caruso mm. uh, I think uh you know again offensively he can kind of just spot up he's shooting better this season uh does you don't need a ton of playmaking when you already have Dumars and Hill so uh yeah went with Caruso there then for like the other wing player, my main thought was, okay, so if the opposition has to put their best defender on Grant Hill because he's a star, then that's going to leave, you know, a weaker defender on the other wing player on my team. So I want that guy to be able to take advantage of mismatches. So I went with Robert Reed here as uh, as my other forward. He take love of it. And then, uh, and finally, I also was thinking like Josh, where I wanted some some rebounding and Corbin as well, rebounding and defense, and you know, setting screens. And so I went with uh, Stephen Adams as my center. So again, like I I didn't go with. I feel like my weakness here is shooting. I didn't get like a ton of spacing here, but uh, I do feel like I have three guys in Dumars, Hill, and Reed who can all attack in isolation. And then I've got a a pretty strong rebounding and defensive group around them. I mean, you know, I can't say anything negative about Steven Adams. It's in, it's impossible for me. So I, I love that. Uh, I love the deep cut of Robert Reed. Um, yeah, that, I, I like Caruso too in the sense of I think you set it up so that your defense is really in like – exhausting like having to battle on the boards with steven adams all night having to keep up with grant hill on defense all night being hounded by alex caruso all night uh i think uh would really play into the strengths of uh hill and dumars and i think they would be a better team with that group and the frustration of robert reed hitting an 18 foot fadeaway with two on the shot clock i think would also yep. <laughs> All right, so are we ready for uh, we're ready for the last team here, the 1999 Toronto Raptors, and uh, we we're kind of cheating a little bit. We're gonna just pretend that this is T Mac and Vince Carter, like both at their peak and, and surrounding them. Even though I think in '99 Tracy McGrady still was very young and and not quite fully formed. Otherwise, I don't think Toronto would have let him go. Uh, but uh, yeah, so. Again, similar similar formula to uh, building around like that uh, that that piston duo because you've got a star shooting guard in Carter and a star small forward in in T Mac. So uh, Corbin, I think you're gonna kick us off here with the uh, with your pick. So who did you uh, who did you pair around this dynamic wing duo? So I wanted some more defense on this squad. Um... I wanted some more. I don't know why I went rough and tumble here. I didn't really go rough and tumble. I just want more defense. Um, and so for another wing alongside Vince Carr and Tracy McGrady, I think it's going to be a really tantalizing lineup. I got Mikel Bridges um, alongside those two. I think that'll be really interesting. At the four, 
I went with someone who could stretch the floor, play decent of defense, be a guy who brings that a little bit of the Oakley factor, um, even late career Oakley, but being much younger. I went with Marcus Morris. Another guy who shot three pretty well from deep, brings another guy who can like bang with bigger bodies. And then the five, I wanted someone to run with these guys, but someone who didn't like necessarily have to, um, but he could, could stretch the floor, give some rim protection. I went with Uncle Cliff, Cliff Robinson. All right, can you can you repeat the three again real quick? Yes, Mikel Bridges, Marcus Morris, and Cliff Robinson. Vince Carter's our offensive initiator, so. Okay, yeah, here. I mean, uh, decent uh, decent bit of shooting there. No, like, traditional uh, traditional center. So defensively, I imagine just doing a lot of switching with a lot of like-sized guys. Exactly, exactly. I My one concern is... Vince was never really a strong playmaker. So that's, that's one issue I would kind of have with that construction. I, I mean, uh, Vince, T-Mac, and uh, I mean, T-Mac, once he was prime, T-Mac, I think is that playmaker and you can roll with that. Um, I didn't approach it that way, but like, I, I think between those two and Mikhail Bridges, I think you'd be fine against most teams, but against some teams, especially any teams that have a Caruso type who can really press up on Vince, like your entire half court offense might bog down a little. Yeah, I spend too much time looking at Vince's assist numbers and the playmaking, like the ter- assist to turnover ratio. Well, I wasn't looking at the right numbers apparently because I was like, yeah, I could see it. Even though it was never his role, I really wish it had been more of his role. You know what I mean? But you're right. And I was like, they don't call it out. That never happened, but it was immediately called out. So thank you. I mean, he was a good passer. I wouldn't say he's a bad passer. I just wouldn't say he's a playmaker for others. Okay. Got you. I, mean, I, I think McGrady was very underrated, but as Josh said, like it, it kind of depends on like are we are we taking it for like night truly nineteen ninety nine Tracy McGrady or like peak McGrady? Because then like yeah, if it's peak McGrady, absolutely, I'm fine with just giving him the ball and having him be the playmaker for your team. But that'd be dope. But you're right. We don't have two thousand three Tracy yet. It's still yeah. You're right. What a difference. Uh, we'll have to come back to those magic when we do the two thousands. Oh, that'd be a fun one. Anyways. All right. Who, T-Mac and Drew Gooden? I was thinking Daryl Armstrong, <laughs> T- but yeah. T-Mac and Daryl Armstrong, T-Mac and Mike Miller. Pat Garrity. Pat Garrity, he actually went to the same high school my wife did. Was it Andrew yeah. DeClerc? Yes, it was DeClerc. <laughs> late career Sean Kemp, late career Patrick Ewing. Oh, what a run. Anyways, yeah. All right, so I think I'm up next. So uh, I I wanted a uh, point guard that can kind of do a you know a little bit of everything. He can handle the ball and 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 provide some additional passing, but also can play off the ball. Because you need a, a guy that can do that when you've got two guys that handle the ball as much and have as high of usage as uh, as uh, Vince and and T Mac. So I went with Fred Van Fleet here. I also think he provides pretty good backcourt defense, some toughness. Uh, so uh, that's who I went with at point. Then I wanted a guy that, you know, even though Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady were like capable defenders, like I would rather them be able to prioritize the offensive end of the floor. So I wanted another wing defender in here. I went with Doug Christie. Um, another just like tough guy, does does a lot of the little things. Um, and, uh, you know, I think 
the fact that he played in that that king system and excelled there like he he can make a pass he can make a cut uh, you know he can do those things that just as a you know that you need out of your out of your guys that maybe aren't uh, that the defense isn't paying attention to and then finally i went with a guy that uh, corbin went with with his, his last team and i i went with walker kessler at center just a guy that uh, yeah block shots rebounds sets solid screens um, you know, and, and does all of those things for a team that outside of him does not have any rim protection. So I like that Doug Christie was actually on this team too. Yeah. Like Doug Christie was actually on the 99 Raptors. Um, I, I like that. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder if maybe you're putting a little too much on Walker Kessler in the sense that he's the only big you have. Yeah. Um, and, and like you have the the two wings, you have Fred. Uh, so that might be I, I could see some foul trouble for Walker Kessler and, and maybe relying on him a little much on rebounding. But yeah, you're, uh, I'm I think that's a good group. I'm required yeah. to probably play T-Mac at six, eight at the four, which. Yes. Is, um, yeah, maybe not ideal, but, uh, you know, those fours got to defend him, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that, that there's your there's your argument. Um, yeah, uh, looking at this team was interesting because you have the goat vertical threat, like, like in like game over Vince is the best vertical threat we've ever seen. Um, an elite transition attacker, a pretty good shooter, although he didn't have good numbers his rookie year, which this was, uh, but had good numbers the rest of his career. Good rebounder, good passer. Not a playmaker, but good passer. Um, solid defensively, but nothing like overly positive. And then T-Mac, and I'm taking T-Mac at this time. Not what he became. Maybe flashes of what he became, but not relying on that. And he was another elite vertical threat and transition finisher. A good rebounder. Pretty good defender at the time. Um, not a shooter yet. Um, and didn't really get a chance to be a playmaker yet. But the the thing that really struck me about this team was they were 16th in offensive re, uh, rating, 18th in pace. They have two of the greatest transition attackers we've seen, and they were 18th in pace. That is malpractice, my friends. That is just, it makes me angry. They were also 15th in three-point attempt rate. Um and they had a single spacer, a single spacer, D Brown. That's the only person on their team who shot over league average from three. The only one, one. Um, so I really wanted to add spacing around these guys. I really wanted to boost the pace. I really wanted to play to Vince and T-Mac attacking in transition. So I looked for transition opportunity creators um, who can also space on offense. We've talked about these types before. So somebody like a Robert Ori, who had a 2.2 steal rate, a 2.7 block rate, and a 14.8 defensive rebound rate. So can do a lot of the things that help start transition. Not the greatest three-point shooter in general, 34% on only four-ish per 100 possessions. I also looked at somebody like Andre Kirilenko, right? Uh, a 5% block rate, a 2.5% steal rate, and a 14.9% defense rebound rate. The definition of uh, defensive chaos engine, right? 
but he was even worse from three <laughs> than Robert Ory was. So I settled on somebody I've talked about before, Robert Covington. Uh, 17.9% defense rebound rate. So the highest defensive rebound rate, 2.6 steal rate, highest steal rate, 2.8 block rate. Uh, and he shot 36% on nine plus threes per 100 possessions. So he's going to help me get out and transition more by getting those blocks, by getting those steals, by getting those rebounds. Uh, I also want a rim protecting spacer, somebody who can, Block shots and rebound uh, while spacing on, on the offensive side. Again, let's push that pace. So again, uh, I thought about guys like Brook Lopez, Brad Lowhouse, uh, um, Nas Reed. This is where I went with Miles Turner. Uh, we talked about before uh, 6.7% block rate for his career. Um, not the greatest three-point shooter, but one that like opponents do like care about to a degree and ultimately you need to juice this this pace a lot right um so i thought about the ball brothers right lonzo i thought about lamello lamello six seven he uh averaged 9.5 rebounds per 100 possessions shot 37.6 percent on 11 plus threes per 100 possessions um 2.3 steal rate Really thinking about LaMelo, but I have to go with one of my three favorite active players happens to have a good relationship on the court and off the court with my new rim protecting spacer, Tyrese Halliburton, pushing the pace with Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady running with him. Uh, Tyrese, uh, also additional size, 6'5". Um, 40.7% on eight plus, uh, threes per 100 possessions, 2.2 steal rate. Um, you couldn't ask for a more elite pace pusher who can also space. Uh, and, uh, I think also Tyrese is the type that he's going to be super happy making Vince and T-Mac, uh, you know, have five of the ESPN top 10 highlights every game. Like, I, I don't think Tyrese is going to get grumpy that like, hey, I'm not getting enough shots. Um, so I, I think between Robert Covington and Miles Turner juicing the transition with their rebounds and blocks and steals. And then Halliburton being the one that operates that, that transition and getting the ball perfectly in place on lobs and, and on cuts uh, for Vance and T-Mac. We're talking about the most exciting fun team in 99 and one that's very well equipped to make some noise in the playoffs. Mic drop. Yeah. I, uh, I love, I love that group, Josh. I think it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's fortunate that we're recording this in January because uh, I think if we were yep. <laughs> two months, Tyrese Halliburton will no longer be eligible, but uh, exactly. <laughs> I that might be a strongest team, yeah, Josh. That was that was pretty well done. I mean, I personally would have liked to see like a Monte Ellis somewhere in there, but I mean, you did what you could, what you had. Corbin, he's my sixth man. You're welcome. <laughs> Mike dropped again. All right. Well, um, yeah, we got through. Uh, we got through all of the '90s here on uh, NBA Hold'em. Congratulations, guys. That. What do you think? Did Did you enjoy this process? And uh, if so. What decade are we doing next? 
Let's go to the 80s, baby. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, we can talk about that. But what I will say first as like a debrief on this, I really enjoyed this. I think it was really cool from bringing the players that haven't been brought up. You know, in a while, we we brought Lowhouse, you know, Corey McGaddy. Like, we talked about players that have been kind of out of the eye. And I think it's cool for like a trip down memory lane, like an NBA history lesson, talking about that. But also how they apply in a team construct, different types of team constructs. And whether that is more offensive-minded, more balanced. I like the... Um, constructive criticism we give to each other's lineups to give like a, a way to look at it in a different light, you know. And I think it's really interesting because ultimately we're putting lineups on, we're putting lineups together to really showcase these historical teams, right? And you look at these players, and all you think about is, you know, uh, Mark Price or or um, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, but like the pieces around them that either helped them succeed or led to why they fell short are important as well, right? And so again. Roster reconstruction. I think this did a really good job. This is a great idea, Garrett, of like being able to really give a critical look at these teams, look at them as they were, see what went right, what didn't go right, and see how we can accentuate or mitigate some of the weaknesses. And I thought it was really cool. And I, I, I mean, personally, I'm down to go 2000s. I'm down to go the 80s. I'm down for whatever. But I, I definitely think this is a fun um, exercise to do. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant concept, and and it allows us to look at a variety of different cores, like we always talk about star archetypes, but, but like core archetypes and how do you build around these different types of cores where, you know, you have a Terry Porter and a Clyde Drexler, which is very different from, you know, a Patrick Ewing, John Starks, which is very different from this and that, and this and that, and being able to kind of identify how each of us kind of view that core and what's missing and what complements and what lifts it up. Or like Corbin said, what mitigates some of the, the rusted out nasty parts <laughs> and makes it a, a little nicer. Um, I, I think it, it's a lot of fun to do and I'm open to doing another decade focus. I, I also think we could just pull from any sort of randomness at this point. Like I know we got to get lob city at some point. Um, I, I think we do need to touch on some eighties, maybe like, uh, Dominique Hawks, um, maybe like the bucks with Moncrief and stuff. And, and like, I think, uh, um, th there's definitely a lot of really 90s. interesting duos and trios that we can look at, uh, all across the years and keep doing this. Yeah, I, uh. I mean, we've already done what? This is the third episode that we've done of this, so uh, it's it's already provided uh, you know a lot of a lot of interesting debate and and talking points. And yeah, I I, I would be down for two thousands, twenty tens, nineteen eighties, or yeah, just kind of a random. I also think it would be fascinating to do the inverse of what we've been doing, where we all share the couple stars. Or excuse me, we all share a couple of um, role players, two or three role players, and we pick the stars that would be the best complement for those role players. I think that would also be a really interesting exercise as well. But uh, again, thanks for thanks for listening to this uh, the dual episode of both Duncan Dynasty and Roster Reconstruction. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, I'd like to uh, toss it uh, to to uh, Josh and Corbin to tell the people a little bit about uh, what they got going on. I'll, we'll start with Josh. 
Well, uh, other than being a full-time stay-at-home dad, I am a mentor who helps people who want to work in the basketball industry or who work in the industry but aren't where they want to be take the next step, reach that next level, and, and get themselves closer to realizing their dream career in basketball. Um, so if that's something that's interesting to you, you can reach me at Josh at myhoopscareer.com. We'll set up a phone call. We'll go over some uh, very, very initial steps to give you like your very next thing to do to get moving towards your goal. Um, and if it's something you want to work with me on and, and get that consistent feedback and mentorship or something, we can uh, get that set up too. All right. Thanks, Josh. And yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. Uh, Josh knows his stuff. Uh, Corbin, what you got going on? Uh, you know, aside from working with y'all, um, round ball ramble, been dropping that basically every day this week. Um, just doing, doing it once a day, every day. Um, so get caught on the scores of the night before and just whatever analysis I have, um, news, getting guests back on, gotta get you back on Garrett, gotta get you back on Josh. Um, got some fun guests kind of lined up for the future here. Um, and then of course, roster construction, which I do with y'all. Um, and again, getting some just really good discussions and, um, yeah, that's it right now. I did a piece on, well, I helped contribute on switch theory. Um, we have our draft lottery board 1.0 out. Um, and so each of us contributed there and I did a profile pieces on Rob Dillingham and Kyle Filipowski. Uh, so that is there. It's just a really good piece from all of us, but that was really cool to kind of get into some scouting, um, for this new college draft, which has been interesting. And yeah, that's really about it for now. Uh, just all the basketball things. Find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA, not a whole lot of you know, uh, insightful input at the time, but love good conversation. And then if last thing, uh, basketball intelligence, um, putting that out, uh, basically subscribe if you can really good basketball work put into your inbox every single day. Yeah. The king of, uh, producing content here, Corbin Ford, any given week, there's probably four or five things that he's done recently that you can check out. So, uh, yeah, definitely encourage you to do that. Uh, for me, uh, obviously, subscribe, rate, review uh, Duncan Dynasty. Uh, and then also on the side, I, uh, I've been working on my year-end lists. I got my uh, year in music for 2023 out on my blog, and you can find that on uh, on my Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. That's my pinned tweet. And I'm also uh, just started working on the, the year-end movies. I just watched my... 80th film that released in 2023 and so uh i will be ranking all 80 films from 80 down to one putting them in tiers giving them a score out of 10 and writing a little blurb for each so uh that will be out soon so uh check that out but uh corbin i brought us on why don't you uh give us your classic sign off and uh and send us out of here appreciate that garrett thank you so much all right so for josh for garrett for myself we're frosty Y'all stay frosty, and we'll be back here real, real soon. It's Duncan Dynasty. Let's go. This is what it's about. This is roster reconstruction. We're talking about different players and the archetypes they fit. And obviously, I don't value off-ball shot creation as much as Josh does, but that perspective is important because I'm always like, on-ball or catch and shoot. I'm forgetting there's a whole nother, you know, variable in this game of basketball that is important to at least recognize, even if I don't, you know, fully appreciate it for my team-building concept. So, no, I think that this is great, and these conversations are really exciting and and just fun to have from a basketball thought process type of feel. And Garrett, uh, got to thank you for this idea because 
There's so many different teams we can now do this with. I joke this would be a limited series, and I'm excited for where this can go. Well, and we have the we still have one more to do, Corbin. Um, I forgot that we did. Huh? Nah, you're just trying to avoid it. <laughs> you're just trying to avoid it. You were giving us a lot of grief over this selection earlier today. Darn it. Corbin yeah, was just yeah, trying yeah. to skirt past it and just be like, hey guys, great pod. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was gonna be take us home, close it out, but you're right, we got one more. <laughs> All right, so we uh, we are now to the uh, the decade of the 1990s, and a team that uh, had uh, you know Corbin doesn't uh, recognize it, but a team that had a lot of success in the decade of the 90s, the Indiana Pacers, with the likes of Reggie Miller and Rick Smiths. A lot of people might not consider that, uh, and I don't necessarily either, as the same level of duo as some of the other ones that we've talked about. But uh, it's you know, we, we've talked about already in this episode the the value of off-ball shot creation, and that's what Reggie Miller is. So I think it would be a fun exercise to figure out what's a good fit around that type of player as the focal point. So, uh, yeah, which one of you guys would like to uh, kickstart us? I think Josh is going to raise his hand. So uh, let's hear what Josh has to say in terms of building around Reggie and Rick. Yeah, and – completely we had to hammer this with with uh corbin too because it's true like they're not anywhere close to considered on par with any of the duos we talked about but we thought this is a more a more interesting for the pod discussion of every other team basically in history has been built around on ball shot creation or a post big or, or, or something like that and, and i just want to i just want to yeah. butt in here real quick and say the reason that this duo isn't as good as the other ones is mostly the rick smith's portion yes. of the duo just to yes. clarify yes yes rick smith's technically would qualify as a role player under our thing but if you were paying attention to those pacers teams rick smith's was the clear second best player behind reggie so we kind of put him in there with Reggie. Um, and let's be honest, Smiths was not a bad player. No, not at all. Like he he was a really good finisher around the rim. Hard not to be when you're 7'4, uh, and your nickname's the Dunking Dutchman. Um, but also like a really good shooter. They didn't really he didn't really shoot threes at the time, but he shot 47.8% from three feet to 10 feet, 42.9% from 10 feet to 16 feet and 45.9% from 16 feet to three-point range in the playoffs. So you're talking a ridiculously good mid-range shooting big. So at the time, that's like an elite pop big, <laughs> given the, the 90s context. Um, and, and he was a good uh, defensive rebounder. Not a great shot blocker, but a solid shot blocker. And then, of course, when we talk about Reggie, Reggie's arguably the the second best off-ball shot creator of all time. Um, He's a clutch playoff riser who always gets better in the playoffs and is the guy you worry about (laughs) when your team is up by two or even three uh, with five seconds left on the clock. He's one of those guys that makes you sweat. Um, and, And the other thing is he was always skinny, but he wasn't really 
exploitable on defense. Like Reggie was a solid defender and he got to the line more than most players in the off ball shot creation role do. Um, But both Reggie and Rick need somebody to get them the ball on time and in their shot pockets. Um, And because uh, Rick is seven, four. And at the time wasn't super mobile as we compare to today's bigs. Um, you probably have to play in drop coverage and pick and roll. Uh, so you need, uh, you know, um, a perimeter defender who can fight over picks uh, and, and that sort of thing and kind of pressure those pull-up shooters. Um, so first off, pick and roll playmaker who can finish uh, the, the pick and roll in all the different ways, shoot the pull-up, finish, make the right pass. Uh, we kind of joked about this beforehand, but Mike Conley <laughs> is a great fit for this. Um, he's another guy, um, particularly from mid-range pull-up, was was in the 40-plus range from both 10 to 16 feet and 16 to three-point range. Um, so that's another guy who, within that offense, if you're worried about Reggie, uh, who's the focus of the offense, and Mike's running a pick and roll, with Rick Smiths, you have to worry about Rick popping or, or finishing near the basket. And then Conley can hit you with a, an efficient pull-up, uh, whether from three or mid-range. Um, and is a consummate professional who's not going to want to take too many shots away from Reggie or Rick um, and, and who's going to get them the ball when they need it. Um, because Reggie's a good defender, but not an elite defender. You also need a perimeter defender who can make the the Michael Jordans and the Scotty Pippins and uh, you know all those types uh, work for their points. And so I, I again went with Shane Battier, um, who's not that dissimilar from Derek McKee, who they who they actually had. Um, but Shane's a better three point shooter, uh, and I think a better. Uh, defender in the context that I'm looking for. And then because Rick can space to the mid-range kind of um, and was a good defensive rebounder but not a strong offensive rebounder, I think the third role is an offensive rebounding big who can free Reggie with screens and who can hit the mid-range when needed when Smiths is posting up so that you're not two bigs clogging the paint. Um And for that, I went with Brian Grant. Uh, He had an 11.6% offensive rebound rate in the playoffs for his career um, and shot uh, 42.2% for his playoff career uh, from 10 to 16 feet and 48.1% from 16 feet to three-point range. So I think Brian Grant can can help uh, the offensive rebounding side um, and kind of space for Smiths in the 90s context. Uh, Battier can defend the uh, most dangerous offensive players on, on defense while still spacing and being a good connector type. Uh, and then Conley can be that floor general who gets Reggie and Rick uh, the ball where and when they need it. Yeah, again, I think, Josh, we're pretty much on the same page. We uh, we, we don't have any uh, of the same players this time, but a lot of the same ideas. So um, for 
for the uh, the point guard position, I went with a little bit more passing, kind of in the the mold of what Mark Jackson brought the team. But you know, this guy uh, has a little bit more scoring ability than Mark Jackson did. I went with Andre Miller. Uh, really, really good passer. I think it's important to have that guy with a Reggie Miller because, uh, you know, again, Reggie Miller coming off that screen, you got to know when to hit Reggie. You also have to know when the defense puts two on Reggie and the big is open under the rim and be able to make that pass. So uh, I, I really like Andre Miller's ability to do that. Also, if things break down and you need a guy to run a pick and roll or just create, I think Andre Miller has that ability. He's really crafty, can get to the rim. So uh, I went with him, and then I also agree in terms of, you know, Reggie Miller was not the greatest of defenders. You also don't want him expending a ton of energy on that end, so you need a one-on-one stopper. I went with OG Ananobi here, a guy that also, again, spaces the floor. And then um, I also went with a second big because I agree with Josh that, uh, you know, Rebounding-wise, despite the fact that Rick Smith is a good defensive rebounder, Reggie Miller, that was maybe the weakest part of his game. He was not a good rebounder. Uh, OG Ananobi isn't a great rebounder either, so I wanted to get a guy that can rebound. Also, having a second big to set screens for Reggie Miller. You know, he liked to lurk along the baseline under the rim and have screeners on each side of the floor. So it's good to have multiple guys that uh, set solid picks. And uh, I also agree with Josh that you want to have some level of spacing. I tried to think of a guy that might also be able to stretch to three, but the best I could do was another mid-range guy. So I went with Luis Scola here, a guy that also I think uh, defensively you've got Rick Smith as the rim protector, Scola as a guy that, you know, doesn't block shots, but he does protect the rim with his charge taking. So, uh, you know, those were that was my trio there for uh, for the Pacers. Wow, wow! I'm I got sniped again with OG Nanobi, um, but no, I'm playing. That's a great selection. Great, I mean, all of you guys right now, great teams. Um, so I went with somebody a little more dynamic, like you, Garrett, at the point guard position. Um, he's a better passer. I think he's an adequate passer, but I wanted someone who could create his own offense. But I wanted a guy who could also space the floor. Um, and so I picked Jamal Murray. Um, somebody who I think can make the read. Like, it's not, I don't think it's complicated to get the ball to Reggie Miller. Like, his actions, pin downs, curl screens, like, just make sure you get it to him in motion so you get the shot. I think Murray is a proficient passer. Nothing spectacular, but definitely there. But what I really like from him is the ability to create his own shot. That he can also play some of those similar actions that Reggie would, you know? And Reggie can also make a simple pass, you know what I mean? Where it's not too much for someone like him to do. Um, And you have Jamal Murray being able to kind of play out that same action with the added ability to make plays off the dribble, which is an important part of any team construction for myself. So definitely big on that. For defense, I did go with OG Anobi. Um, I wanted a swingman who could switch different positions. He could play the three, he could play the four. Um, he was somebody that uh, could shoot the three, doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot, and that's great because I want the ball really in Jamal Murray and Reggie Miller's hands, but someone who knows what to do with it if he does get it. Um, and it's just a really capable three and D swingman. Like the personification of that position is OG Anobi for me with this Pacers team. Um, and then lastly, for the bigs, I was really torn on this because I wanted somebody to space the floor. I wanted some level room protection, and there wasn't a lot of players available to do that. I didn't want to go and pick a guy I already took because um, Miles Turner was screaming to me. Um, and he already is Indiana Pacers, so it would be nice. But I originally picked Evan Mobley. Looked at him. I 
thought, hey, I like that he could switch a little bit. I like his length. I like the ability to be like a vertical rim protector there. Um, he flashes a little bit of a three ball. But then I'm like, hey, he hasn't actually been actualized yet. Like, it's bits and pieces. He's still putting it together. Doesn't have the girth I'm looking for. So now I was like, wait, let me just get a guy who's already been on the Pacers. Now, albeit they got him at age 39 and 40. We're going to get him like 33, 34 when he's averaging just under a block per game, a steal per game, shooting 34% from three. We're going to go with Sam Perkins. Um, solid player, somebody who will be more of a room presence, does have some girth on one end to kind of play defense on that, still mobile enough at least early on then to not get killed in switch switch action. And on the other end is taking four threes a game in the mid-90s. So, like, extrapolate that over whatever this time period now would be for him shooting threes. And I think you have a totally different animal there. So uh, Jamal Murray, OG Anobi, and Sam Perkins were my three for the Indian Pacers team, which hopefully will go farther than they did with Reggie and Brett. I mean, they, uh, they they made an NBA Finals, Corbin, and came two wins away from a championship. They uh... Corbin, they've done just as well, if not better, than any Russell Westbrook-led team. No, hold on. Don't do mm-hmm. that. No, no, it's hold true. on. Because, it's true. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the Oklahoma true. Russell Westbrook team lost to the great, arguably the greatest NBA team, one of the greatest NBA teams of all time. Like, uh, the Pacers weren't Are going you saying down against that the, the Shaq, Kobe, Lakers aren't one of the greatest – NBA teams of all time, Corbin? I, I, what I'm going to say is that 2000 team, I don't think so. 2001, 2002, I think they really hit their stride. That 2000 team, they would have beat whoever. That Pacers team, that was like a mercy kill. Like, they shouldn't have been there in my mind. I you know don't the know. the Thunder like, uh, got swept, right? <laughs> were in the finals? No, they didn't. They lost in five. Russell Westbrook saw to that. Ooh, okay. Gentleman <laughs> sweep. <laughs> Ooh. They, they, they won the first game. They Russell went to Westbrook more of that. conference finals and than Russ's teams have. And they pushed a 73-win Warriors team to a game seven, six-point loss or something in the conference finals. Key like, I'm sorry, loss. Reggie. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Reggie got also, a lot of Reggie the pushed the 98 Bulls to a game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're not winning this argument, dude. I, I honestly had Reggie's like, teams had more success than Russ's teams. I would hope so playing in the weaker East, but, you know, we'll leave it there. <laughs> playing in the weaker East where you have to go through MJ? I mean, they only That's got through MJ weird? once. They only, I mean, I'm sorry, they didn't get through MJ. Like, they didn't get through MJ. My bad. I didn't realize that that never actually happened to them. Like yeah, their and best the success was never MJ got was, through Curry. Uh, they, 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 okay, they got past Curry. Curry played in the NBA in 2012. It wasn't a factor like that. But like, <laughs> Curry, wow. imagine, the okay. West was rough regardless. You had Kobe's Lakers. No you had Dirk Mavericks. That the West like, was tough. the Pacers were. They were a solid team in an Eastern Conference where it was them, the Bulls, the Knicks, depending on what year you want to go with them. Like there was some tough teams, but no, the Pacers didn't make it out. Like the, the by the time the Pacers made out, the Knicks the had Pacers totally aged out, out just as often as Russ's teams did. Okay, but Russ's teams against <laughs> better competition in the thick, like literally the like in the Pacers. Opinion. One thing I would give Reggie is longevity. Like by the time they made it, they had waited out the New York Knicks. They had waited out the Chicago Bulls. They made the finals, by the way, in two thousand. Okay, like this is Reggie in his mid thirties. Yeah, um, Patrick Ewing, a year away from retiring, finals. or two years away from retiring. Michael Jordan retired. Like, and when they did, come on now, come. On. I mean, what are we doing? Dude, they what are we made, doing? They made five Eastern Conference Finals from '94 to 2000. And, and again, Jordan. I brought up how the 
and the have New the Jersey Thunder Nets, made the New Jersey five Nets made quite conference a bit of conference finals back then. We're not talking about them. I'm just okay. You give me five. Regardless, this is this is this is something that's been going on for years, people. Because uh, Corbin and I tend to participate in these all-time fantasy drafts, where then you you get into like rounds where you have to argue against another team or something. And Corbin had a Corbin type team, uh, and I had a team that was kind of built around Reggie Miller. And Corbin, uh, admittedly, in a playful manner uh Corbin badmouth Reggie and and ever since Corbin and I have been having discussions on the merits of off-ball shot creation which doesn't jive with Corbin because Corbin prefers on-ball shot creation which is totally valid and fair that everybody has different preferences and stuff um also I don't like Russ nearly as much as Corbin does so it tends to cause this kind of situation maybe Garrett should be a mediator yeah, this was such a wholesome show until the last about ten minutes. <laughs> it, it was it was going great, man. We I went to some of my in, inhibitions. Josh poked the right bit. Like, no, I'm playing. I'm glad that we have some level of back and forth. You're right. We are. We've been a lot better in terms of reining that in. But every once in a while, yeah, it gets passionate. You know, like we're we're it's gonna get real. It definitely got a little first takey, but we're getting back into it, and it's fine. You know, this is. This is okay. This is sometimes an element of roster construction, uh, especially when we're talking about certain roster fits that we have disagreements on. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll table that talk for, for the private chat moving forward, uh, at least for this one. But I definitely think it is interesting how, you know, Josh, you did bring up like, yeah, the Pacers and, and no disrespect. I mean, I've already disrespected them. No further disrespect. Like, <laughs> no further disrespect. They were a talented, successful team in the 90s. I can say that. Um, I definitely think their roster construction is a little bit more, more unique, um, partially because I just wouldn't build a team around Reggie um, or Rick Smith in this way. Like, I think he would be a big factor of that team and a big component of that team, but he would be, I don't know, my second option. Like, like we would play through one person, he'd be the constant threat to go on the side. The fact they had to assume the main option for a team, I think kind of limited their ceiling and is reason why they didn't break through when they finally did warrant a successful. Add to that, of course, age. They were battling injuries by that point. There was a lot in 2000. There was no way in any universe they were winning regardless, but they had a lot of other factors by the time they did finally break through to the finals. But that is my thing. I think by going with a guy like Reggie, I think that off-ball, and this is my crux of my argument, I guess, I think that there is a limit to what that is when you make that your focal point. I just want to point out that another highly successful team in the East uh, in the subsequent decade, the the second edition of the Bad Boys Pistons, their offense was entirely built around Rip Hamilton. And this is 100% accurate. Everyone thinks it's uh, Rashid and Chauncey. If you go back and you look, Rip was the highest usage player and had the most shots out every single year. And they went to six straight uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So you can build an offense around an off uh, an off ball shot creator and have success just like the Pacers did with Reggie, just like the Pistons did with Rip Hamilton. And oh yeah, the most recent dynasty that we've seen, the Golden State Warriors, is built entirely around having two elite off ball shot creators. Well, and and let me let me just say this too in terms of the 
you know, Reggie Miller, you would have rather had him as a number two. Well, as a number one, we just got done saying that his number two was Rick Smith's. <laughs> you know, like his number two was not as good as all of these other players and duos that we're talking about. And yet they still had so much success. So I think that's an argument in favor that Reggie was a pretty good number one, that they made five Eastern Conference finals with a second best player that was not as good as most teams had that were championship caliber. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I still think, I still stand by my argument, but I agree with what you're saying. I think that's a good one. I think that Rick Smith, I mean, we, I don't want to down on Rick Smith any further. Like, yes, like he was an ideal second option. I just don't think, I don't know. Like, I mean, even with the, the teams that we've made so far, like they are much better. Um, but like, it's, I don't know. I just, I don't think that it's somebody who, I don't know. Again, I just stand by what I said. I think that having Reggie Miller as your main guy is the guy playing through limits your overall ceiling. Yes, Rick Smith wasn't a great number two. Like, that much is true. And what also can be true is that Reggie just wasn't a great number one. Like, that at least is my argument. I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm sorry. He was a great number one for what he was. But it limits championship ceiling. That is my argument. And they didn't win a championship. Please, it, neither did Russ. Um, I'm, I'm, not refer, about like, I'm not talking about I know, about I know. I'm just <laughs> saying, please refer to Ben Taylor's video on Reggie, where he is one of the greatest playoff risers of uh, all time. It, it sounds like you missed Ben Taylor's video on Russ too, but anyways, um, but yeah, he never mentioned Russ being a playoff riser. Did, did you watch the video? Yes, okay, I did. I'm devolving again. I'm sorry. We're devolving. Yes, he did. Yes, I did, Corbin. <laughs> but I'm saying. Uh, and I, I get it because and this is a good discussion for roster reconstruction because we're all coming from different backgrounds, different experiences. How we grew up loving the game deeply influences what we value in the game. And for Corbin, he grew up loving on-ball scores. Like, and, and that's totally valid. Most people grow up that way. I grew up obsessed with the other guys. <laughs> like I have Muggsy Bogues jerseys and I loved Scottie Pippen. All my friends were like, when we were playing pickup, we're like, MJ, I'm MJ. And like, I'm always Scotty. <laughs> like I want to be Scotty. I love that, that, that kind of complimentary, elevative uh, impact type guy. And I think I get passionate about this topic a lot. Because I think we all in the general basketball world assume the only way to create shots is on ball. And I don't think that's accurate. And we've seen that it's not accurate. Like I said, those Pacers teams with Reggie went to five Eastern Conference finals uh, from 94 to 2000. And they made the finals during that stretch. The Pistons uh the the that second iteration of the bad boys pistons were built offensively around rip hamilton's movement um and they went to six straight eastern conference finals and made the finals twice and won a championship uh and then like i said the dynastic warriors uh are built entirely on the back of two of the five greatest off-ball shot creators of all time including the number one guy steph so, like, it's proven, with, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's proven you can win championships with an offense built around an off-ball shot creator. And so 
that's why I, I always get passionate about this topic because no one talks about that ever. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for it. And I'll get into it eventually in either a podcast with Corbin or like an article at some point. But I think we have to be aware that there are other ways to generate shots for yourself and for your teammates that don't require you to have the ball in your hands. And that's partially why I wanted to talk about Reggie and Rick Smith's in this podcast, because I thought it would incite this type of discussion and admittedly some heated cat fighting between Corp and I, uh, but uh, I thought, uh, you know, it's an interesting topic. No, I totally agree. I gotta say, like, it definitely, I have my thoughts and I think it's interesting that we've been able to have, I, there's clear fallacies in my argument. I'm aware of that. Is didn't have that pointed out um, to kind of have a spirit of conversation on this and, you know, that it's been fun for sure on that. I definitely have to say, like, for that alone, just picking this team was interesting. Because as we said before we even went into this team, I had my thoughts on why we're talking about this team. Like, let's talk about Shaq and Penny. Let's talk about – I even made an argument for Patrick Ewing and John Starks. Like, I think that 90s Knicks team, which we'll probably do in another version, but I think that would be a much more interesting team, in my opinion, of, like, a defensive-minded team that kind of scrapped together points that had a, a dominant big man who played from the high post a lot, but like in a streaky shooter, like there's a lot more there in my mind that I thought to go with, but like Garrett and Josh made the argument that went into off ball scoring and the value of a guy like Reggie Miller and looking at, you know, what Rick Smith was and, and, and how good of a player he was just kind of miscast as the player that he had to be for the team. And even with that being the case, how successful they were. So it's spilled a whole bunch there, but, uh, Gary, do you have any thoughts before we close out this segment here? Because this was definitely uh, an electric one. Well, yeah, I, I think um, I, I think we can all say that this this episode, this idea was a success. I think it uh, generated some really interesting discussion. And, yeah, I think we could have some more of these where, yeah, we could talk about Shaq and Penny or, you know, Ewing and Starks or, like, uh, you know, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. You know, there's there's so many interesting uh, other possibilities here that we could we could dive into and talk about. and. Um, we could also do kind of the the inverse, right? Where we, maybe we start with three role players and pick two stars to match with them. You know, there's there's kind of a lot of different ways that uh, we could go about doing this. But yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. This was a blast for sure. Josh, any final thoughts on this one here before we close out? Uh, again, I think Garrett had a great concept and I think we already have a, a significant pool to pull from if we want to do a second in this series. Um, and I, I think it did what we hope to do, which is elicit discussion on different roster construction philosophies and approaches and how each of us kind of view what needs to be done with these same cores, I think highlights how you can see things from multiple different perspectives and you can highlight different weaknesses to focus on. Um, and honestly, other than the, the hissy fight, uh, <laughs> I think, I think, I think, you know, we, we kind of made good discussion points. Well, yeah, and I, I, just one last thing, too. I think it's, uh, you know, what we did here is kind of what GMs do pretty much on a, a, a fairly consistent basis is they say, okay, these are our core guys. What do we need around them, right? And, uh, you know, um, are these guys worth keeping? Are these guys worth, uh, you know, getting rid of? What guys around the league 
would, uh, you know, complement and make our team better. It's so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's really fun to get into these debates and yeah, I think we, uh, we had some similarities, we had some differences and yeah, it's always, uh, it's always interesting to discuss because yeah, I, I think a lot of times, okay, you go for more shooting, you might lose a little bit on defense or you go for more rip protection. You might lose a little bit on the glass. You know, there's all these different gives and give and takes that you, uh, you make when you make these decisions. And that's why it's, it's so difficult, but also so fun and, and challenging. Absolutely. And that's what makes it fun to come on here with y'all and do the show every week. So thank y'all again. Um, because even without the spirit, even with the spirit of debates, we all have fun. Um, and you know, good friends talking basketball it doesn't get much better than that. So thank yeah. y'all, Gary and Josh. And I'll see um, you Friday. And, and, and exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll be We're having dinner here. on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Literally just like that. So um, real quick, y'all, please share where folks can find you, um, the both of you in your work. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. And uh, I think I, I teased this the last show, but I actually have a date that it's happening now. Uh, I'm going to have um, Patrick Arsenault, a guy that I worked with at uh, Sports Info Solutions. We're going to be talking the Houston Rockets coming up this weekend. So that'll be an episode coming out, you know, maybe Saturday or Sunday, some sometime around there. And, uh, yeah, we might also just uh, – touch a little bit on the starts for uh, Tyrese Halliburton and uh, Tyrese Maxey. So a fun little show. You can check that out on my podcast, Duncan Dynasty, which these two guys have been on multiple times. Cool. Definitely give that a look. Uh, I'm particularly excited to hear about the two Tyrese's. Um, Yeah. You should also uh, talk about Tyrese Gibson too, for no reason other than like three Tyrese's. just get as many Tyrese mentions as possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm taking a break from Twitter at the moment uh, because it's a cesspool. <laughs> but uh, uh, I do, I can be reached uh, via email, uh, josh at myhoopscareer.com. If you're somebody who's interested in working in basketball or you've been trying to work in basketball and you're still not making the progress you want, hit me up. We'll set up a phone call and we can see how I might be able to uh, set you on a path to maybe take that next step towards your dream career in basketball. Uh, And beyond that, follow Garrett, follow Corbin, all the crazy stuff Corbin and Garrett do. and follow Swish Theory. Uh, Charlie Cummings just dropped a, a really good piece on uh, Aaron Neesmith. Um, and, and there's a lot of good stuff in the works there as well. So always support good basketball analysis. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Josh. Um, so, yeah, please follow Josh. Follow Garrett. Um, both just do tremendous work and and are just great folks. Like, great basketball minds, but great folks. Um, you can check out Switch Theory at Switch Theory, uh, SwitchTheory.com. Like, great work done there. Uh, Josh already mentioned the great piece that Charlie did uh, this past week, but all sorts of great content. Draft work coming up as we are really kind of dive into that. So uh, we'll have parts of that, whether it's roundtables, whatever the case may be. Very exciting stuff coming. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever. Um, also Instagram at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Um, in addition to this show, um, I do Round Ball Ramble, which is like just your general NBA show. Uh, a lot of fun on that as well. I've had both of these good friends on and we'll continue to have them on in the future. Um, and hopefully getting to do some writing soon, have the newsletter in the works. So that'll be fun to kind of start working with 
Um, but yeah, that will do it here for another episode of Roster Construction. Very spirited, exciting, ultimately fun episode um, with a great premise, and we hope that you enjoyed it. So for Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and we'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, Josh.